This is the end of Rescuers, Rocky, Rescue Rangers, Pee-wee, Harry Potter, and get ready for one of the highest grossing comedies of all time. This week on 302010, you filthy animals. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine. Each week, taking you back across three decades from the very week we are sitting in. That week would be November 13th through the 19th for us, as of this recording, post-election. And we will be talking about the decades 1990, 2000, and 2010. If you couldn't tell from the tease I just gave, there is a lot of finales being geared up, but as we know... With pop culture, it's never really over when there's a streaming service that needs to promote itself. So certain things come back, and certain people are desperate to have another big blockbuster movie. So it's not truly, but again, truly cataclysmic pop culture phenomenon this week. For real. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman. Come through, Philly! I love you, Philly. All, All you fucking Pennsylvania listeners. And Georgia people. Yeah, let's not forget Georgia and all this. And it's me, Sarah, with the French call, Les Incompetents. <laughs> <laughs> I understood that reference. Nice. Um, I have been woo. so aggressively Philly Pride this week. Mm-hmm. I apologize in advance because I'm also going to get to talk about Philly during this episode. Yeah. But, <sighs> If we're still doing yep. the shows in 10 years, I will be able to tell you that watching votes trickle in from Philly a hundred at a time for six like 36 straight hours was the most compelling entertainment I've ever experienced in my life <laughs> word it, it, I can word. I have not been able to enjoy anything until the end of this election and then I immediately like it's two in the morning I think you should start watching Goonies and Midnight Run I can enjoy things again <laughs> this is great oh <laughs> this is a big episode to talk about Christmas movies and I can tell you that my Christmas season this year did not start I realized until the moment I saw all the people celebrating mm-hmm. uh, Biden's win and dancing to All I Want for Christmas is You <laughs> in a, at the gas station. Yes. It made me cry. Legitimately, I was like crying and watching it like, yes, the there's a, there's a dude autumn. standing on a Honda like, get the fuck up, people. <laughs> all I want for Christmas. <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's a great yeah. time to be an American. It's a great time to be a fan of art. It's a great time to be a fan of uh, weirdness and self-expression. And that's why we're glad oh. you're joining us oh, for the show. Oh, my God. Mm. The single, my single favorite thing from all the counting and recounting and people freaking out was to find out uh, the French newspaper Le Monde had like a question and answer column because like it's, it's confusing. American politics is confusing. So they were answering people's questions. What do you want to know? And someone asked, what is gritty? <laughs> and I was like, well, gritty is an elder god who represents the socialist working class. And also he's a hockey mascot. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to get a tattoo of him on my fucking neck. And he's the male counterpart of the newly created Gritney, the, the female version, oh, which is yeah, surprisingly Gritney. alluring. I, I, <laughs> I, am, I am embarrassed, but it may very well have awoken something in me. <laughs> he looks great. <laughs> but there's so much fun stuff to talk about in this episode, especially in the yeah. first segment, because oh, it's a lot of so much holiday stuff, so much kid stuff. It's it's it should be the end of all these like 
sacred inst- institutions. A lot of them would come back in various forms. But like, uh, yeah, I cannot wait to get into this. We're going to skip over the news and just jump you right into November 13th, 1990, after I plug our executive producer, Jason Walsh, and many other fine folks at patreon.com slash laser time. We do appreciate your support. Just ask for five bucks. You get a ton of extra shows, including an extra video game version of this show where you go way more in depth into the video game anniversaries of 30 and 20 and 10 years ago. Uh, Sarah and Sam are with me this week talking about uh, with doing our election special special. Uh, if you'd like to hear yeah. more political banter from people who are not experts, mm-hmm. but it is it is cathartic and, and fun. Also, as as happy as we are, mm-hmm. Trump voters, we're not going to round you up and put you in camps. So yep. just relax. We're cool. Yep. I've never once thought it'd be we'd be so better up, much better off if they were dead. Huh? I got all these guns too. We and actually the, we actually want to do the opposite. Right. We I'd want to give yeah. you health care. I want you to have health care and your kids to go to college. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. That's all. It's very strange, but then I'm seeing too many screen caps of weirdo parlor stuff. Like, hope your hope your non censorship policy goes well over there, because technically the nation has received death threats <laughs> very publicly on that social media service. Let's look. None of that matters. Diddly do, diddly do. Forty years ago, thirty years ago, I mean. Let's go back to 1990, November 13th to the 19th. If you're listening to this and you're anywhere from the ages of 15 to five, this is all going to blow your mind, because um, this is all great, great stuff, including. I think what might be one of my, it might be my favorite movie of the week. I can't tell. Um, The the top one, uh, Frank Welker, not a good clue. He's a voice actor in too many things. He's one of the greatest voice actors of all time. One of the final roles of George C. Scott. Oh, my groin. Um, (laughs) Adam Ryan, Tristan Rogers, the first animated performance I can remember of John Candy outside of Camp Candy. Uh, Ava Gabor and Bob Newhart in Disney's first ever theatrical animated sequel, Rescuers Down Under. From Walt Disney Pictures. Code Red, Code Red. The Destination, Australia. The mission, save a young boy and his eagle from an evil madman. I got it! The only hope, the rescuers in an heroic new adventure. It's rip-roaring action, cliff-hanging excitement, and high-flying fun. You're free! And it's only in theaters. Walt Disney Pictures, The Rescuers Down Under. Way to go, mate! Rated G. Starts Friday, November 16th. How much am I allowed to talk about Rescuers Down Under? Well, let's start with, you said it's the first Disney animated sequel going to theaters in 16 years. 16 years. 13 years. 13 years. Yeah, it's a a shame because uh, I wasn't born, I wasn't around in 1977, and um, for yourself, <laughs> I wasn't there to see the rescuer, the original rescuers, be an incredibly big hit, and it was a huge, huge hit, and it really was marred in the eyes of both the company and the public by the thing you've probably seen—the hidden boobies in the movie. There is <laughs> like there is a literal picture of real woman boobs in the original film that the animators hid in there. What? And they thought, mm. well, they've been doing stuff like that for years, and I don't know why they decided to do something this risky in 1977, because there were VCRs coming out, but Disney was a long holdout, like, we'll never release our movies on home video. Once they did, people found the boobies, and Disney had to quietly, like, sit back on the rescuers. But it is, I think, up until, like, the modern... Disney Renaissance, which I don't really want to talk about. Um, it was in the top 10 highest grossing Disney animated films ever made. It was a huge success and it was deliberately built to be followed up on because mm. these were two uh, Bernard and Bianca of the Rescue Aid Society. Something if you haven't heard me. I know I've talked about it on Video Game Apocalypse. I love 
little things in a big world. I love video games like that. I love it when they're little mice that have like Senate meetings underneath our rafters and they, they bang <laughs> on our buttons and, <laughs> and they use like a, they use our, our drinks, like my cocktail swords to have sword fights. I love that shit. I love little things in a big world. And they're, I love the idea that there's, there's this little rodent society built to help us and help everyone. And the rescuers was built to be followed up on. It's, it's uh, name got tarnished a bit. And I forget exactly where this concept came from, but I think it was mostly to make an action adventure movie. Like they wanted to make an action oriented movie and they had Disney largely adapts fairy tales. So hmm. you can't really make, there's nothing in Cinderella you can turn into a car chase, but rescuers had a little bit more fodder for that. And it is also, I think if you're a big animation fan, like I am, if you follow me on the instas and saw me, the sole person in the universe celebrating the VHS release date of who framed Roger rabbit. I watched that <laughs> with my girlfriend. We were talking about traditional animation and digital animation. And we're the weird milestone for rescuers down under is that it is the first Disney digital film. It is the first to incorporate CG, which you can clearly see in its amazing opening as it just screams across, across the Australian veld. It is incredibly important in terms of how the medium would move forward. And people kind of forget about that. I also think it's a pretty good movie. Yeah. So I've never seen it before. Mm -hmm. So I, I finally saw it and it's, it's interesting that we're smack dab it at the beginning of the Disney Renaissance, like mm -hmm. the real Disney comebacks. We've already had little mermaid. Yes. And mm -hmm. we've got uh, beauty and the beast next year. And like, those are the ones people think of, and this is right here in the middle and everyone kind of forgets about it, but uh, the digital modeling that, and mm -hmm. then the animating over it looked really good. Some of the sequences were just gorgeous, but the story is a little extra slow. Oh, is yes. it? And also, also, I can see kids being super traumatized by George C. Scott. Yes. yes. He's an incredibly terrifying villain, but they've been doing that for a long time. Even when we got to Tarzan, like, I know this is based on a book, but this guy's a little too much, and he's hung at the end. In, in front yeah, of all of us. Oh, yeah. It's the same thing where it's like they're, they're throwing in the environmental message, which mm -hmm. is nice, you know, as, as kind of is becoming the style of the time for kids. And the, the opening sequence with Cody flying around with that eagle oh, is gorgeous. among some of the best shots in any animated movie I've ever seen. And, and again, like Disney, this is one of like three Disney movies set in the modern day. Uh, mm -hmm. I love, I love this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah, but I feel like they spend a lot of time getting the rescuers into the story. It's like mm -hmm. almost half the movie is over before they really they show up. It's like, that's kind of a bummer. Like, I kind of wanted to just, just be on vacation in Sydney and just go, just go. I want them to talk to all the weird Australian animals because Australia is full of weird animals. Yeah, that's true. And they do. Yeah, eventually. I remember watching this a lot, but still having very fuzzy memories of it because I'm five in 1990 mm -hmm. at this point. And so I, it, I feel like. I watched it a lot in like 91, 92 because it was like one of the few VHSs my grandparents had and I spent a lot of time at their house. <laughs> mm -hmm. So like all of my memories are very fuzzy of it, but I remember seeing it a ton and being very traumatized by the by the villain. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that all completely tracks. And I was like a little kid that was scared of everything. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, he's just especially bloodthirsty and creepy and mm -hmm. he does have my one of my favorite animal sidekicks I've ever seen yeah. though, Joanna the Goanna. Yeah. <laughs> It's animated so beautifully, yeah. and just flew. And she's always doing something interesting with like how she's shaped, and her tail is doing stuff, and her expressions. And I was just like, "Where? Why didn't she get a spinoff? I like, I, I want more Joanna the Goanna." Yeah, I think this wasn't she's so cool. This wasn't an out of the box theatrical smash, but it didn't lose money. But you know, in in the, a world of 
all this 90s kid horse shit, like, this movie is very fondly remembered. And a lot of people who didn't have it on VHS, they just had to settle for those McDonald's viewers where you could look at one scene in the movie in, like, 2.5D, if you remember those. I, I think it, oh, it, yes. It, I think it deserves another watch. Um, if, if you haven't seen it in a while and you consider yourself a Disney or animation fan, it is incre- incredibly interesting from, you know, a animation historical aspects just because, like, uh, this is also the premiere of Disney's Prince and the Popper, and it's the... <laughs> It's the first Mickey starring theatrical short to debut in front of one of their movies. Roger Rabbit had been in front of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids with Tummy Trouble. But the last time that it happened was in 1980 with a reissue of The Rescuers. You got the premiere of uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol, which basically has the the struggle of basically reintroducing like all the voices of these characters. None of us were alive back then that hadn't really done anything in like 10, 15 years. And... Mickey made very few, I think three theatrical shorts. And by shorts, I mean not seven minutes. They are like 25 minutes. It is it is the length of that Olaf cartoon everyone complained about in front of Coco. But the, <laughs> but the Prince, of, Prince of the Popper is great. If you're just off the Roger Rabbit thing, the weasels are now elevated to like bad guys that are everywhere in Disney animation, especially when it involves like Mickey, Donald, and Goofy and Minnie. Uh, it's a great short. I don't think it's included on the DVD. And I couldn't find them last time I looked on Disney Plus, but they keep adding stuff all the time, which I love. Thank you, listeners, for always reminding me that I'm somehow wrong when Disney Plus adds something one year later. I, I just said it wasn't there now, and I find that yeah. odd. Just I, I feel like the the studio it, it wasn't the big hit that they wanted it to mm-hmm. be because I mean it, it opens fourth this week. Child's yeah. Play Two is still ahead wow. of it, and there's another oh, wow. children's movie that eats its lunch real hard that we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. And I just I feel like it's them deciding like nah fuck it we're not we're not doing non musicals for a while. Yeah, that was a pretty just like nah too much adventure. Let's go right back to the, the fairy tale stuff because you know mm-hmm. that's what they do like straight through the Lion King. That's that's why I think it's it's a pretty bold it's a pretty bold direction to, that I'm sort of glad the animated movies didn't go in. But like I always had a ton of fun with Rescuers Down Under. Cannot recommend it enough. Uh, it's streaming somewhere. I'll let you guess where. Um, it is also mm-hmm. like they don't. I think both this and The Rescuers are two of the most underrated Disney animated films. So if you're still out there buying physical media, they are only and exclusively sold together. So I recommend if you want to save money, do that. It's a great DVD set. They're both incredibly good movies. Um, A movie I saw, I had never seen a single movie in this franchise until about 15 years ago. And I watched them all in a row, and I couldn't understand why this was given so much shit. Burgess Meredith, was he still alive? Tommy Morrison. Well, his character was dead. Yeah, okay. (laughs) He's He's still alive. (laughs) Tommy Morrison, Sage Stallone, Burt Young, Talia Shire, uh, and Sylvester Stallone, and Rocky V. Rocky V. This is your medical report. It's not so good, but we can work around it. You lost millions. This is a tremendous opportunity. For him to be disabled? You got insulted. You got a humiliated. Tell me you're a piece of garbage. Sometimes you just got to go for it. Won't you try knocking me down? Let's do it. Sylvester Stallone, Rocky Five, rated PG-13. Starts Friday at theaters. <laughs> Rocky V. Uh, I I love saying it like that. Thank you, Bart, for ruining this title for me forever. Uh, Rocky Balboa. I know. It should have been. It was the end of Rocky for what? I think almost 20 years to the day. 16 years. Okay, okay. And I think that's part of why people, this is probably everyone's least favorite out of the Rocky series. Mm -hmm. Because 
it is a hard reset because yeah. we just had Rocky Four, which is as big and as crazy as they get. He goes to Russia and he fights the Terminator. And it's, he has and a robot been, assistant. He has a robot. It's it's fantastic, Rocky Rocky IV. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> it is so crazy, and this is within the first fifteen minutes. He has lost all of his money. Mm-hmm. He's found out the fight with Drago caused him probably permanent brain damage, and now he's back in Philly with nothing. I assume that was people's problem with the movie is that he doesn't box. It's a Rocky yeah. movie where Rocky doesn't fight. I mean, he Rocky fights. Rocky does not fight. I mean, he does fight at the end. And that's yeah. the one thing that's been retconned out of this is the idea that if he fights again, he'll probably die or yes. suffer permanent oh. injury. But they brought back John G. Abelson to direct, who's the director of the very first Rocky. Mm-hmm. And they're starting over. And that's not what people wanted, I guess. People wanted to keep going with the super craziness. It, it, and I- so... I'd never seen this before, and it's pretty good. I thought it was. I think it's but great. Also, but also, you need this. This this is they reset and they've continued on this continuity, as it were, since mm-hmm. then. Rocky Rocky Balboa, which is like another sixteen years later, mm-hmm. is following up on this, and Creed follows up on this, and that's so what's like. And that, that's where you need to get to because Creed is one of my favorite movies in the last five years. Yeah, so and I think I think. This movie was resetting, so it would could basically become Creed, but with Sly Stallone's son. And, and yeah. I think maybe if people got a whiff of where that was headed, like, that's not exactly what we want. Uh, Apollo Creed's kid is a way more interesting angle, and then turn turn Rocky into Mickey. And it, as yeah. it turned out, it was. Creed 2, you'll have to tell me about it. I just somehow have totally slept on that film. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. It's not as good, obviously, but it's, it's pretty good. But... Well, I mean, that's one thing that I, I found interesting about this is that they're not trying to turn Rocky's son into Rocky Jr. And that's kind mm-hmm. of part of his problem. You see this in Rocky Five and Rocky Balboa, which is like, I don't want, I, I'm not a fighter. I don't understand this. I got to live in your shadow. And, and it's, it's so sad though, because stage, stage Stallone, obviously, is Sylvester Stallone's son. And he, he died pretty young. He died in his 30s. Oh. Um, and he's, he's okay in this. And, but a lot of the plot is about, Rocky training this other fighter, Tommy Machine Gun, more or to- Tommy the Machine Gun, mm-hmm. uh, and treating him like a surrogate son while ignoring his real son, and that's where most of the drama is. And that's pretty interesting. And you kind of need that that backstory makes Creed like that much better mm-hmm. of why he doesn't want to train anyone ever again because this right. all goes straight to hell. And oh my god, I had no idea about Tommy Morrison's background. I knew he was a real boxer. And they continue that the rest of the series of having real fighters play fighters. Uh, Tommy Morrison needs to have a movie made about him. Really? Yeah. So he was from like bumfuck Oklahoma uh, and he like worked his way up. Uh, But then at one point he got the title in like 96. At some point he was married to two women at the same time and they were both named Dawn. (laughs) 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 Which like that's a movie. But also, uh, he had to quit because he tested HIV positive. Wow. Wow. And then he retired and went on antiretrovirals and started testing negative and tried to get back into boxing. Oh, shit. It's like, where is this movie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Holy Lord. Yeah. I I had no idea. I just sort of lost track of him. It's like, oh, I remember he was a boxer. And he's in this and he's pretty good. You know, he plays just a big galoot that Rocky tries to train and. He gets wooed away by not Don King, as he did. <laughs> Who hadn't really like like been in the series yet. There hadn't been a, like a, a surrogate of him. I don't know. I could be wrong on that. My my memories are yeah. a little hazy of this, but I I thought 
I still think Rocky is one of the sturdiest film franchises ever. And I think older people have a huge beef with this movie that I frankly did not. I thought it was fun. And I yeah. thought it was I thought it was incredibly different, especially because Rocky Four was just kind of like, this is too silly. Like you can't make yeah. another movie like this. I love it. But you yeah, can't do that I love again. It. This is this is the reset, and this is where we've been since. And you know, now that we have other Rocky movies that are good continuing in this vein, like you can go back and look at Rocky Five and be like, No, this is fine. It's just not it people were just disappointed that it wasn't just more bigger crazier more robots i don't know i mean the last movie ended with him healing america and, right. <laughs> and this and movie ends with a street fight ending communism yeah, yeah. ends yeah. communism i don't know how you top that if i could change you could change um <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's it's tough though like as a rewatch because rocky balboa covers a lot of the same territory that rocky mm-hmm. five does you can kind of skip one or the other if you were doing a whole rewatch hmm. okay good to know good to know i'm not sure which one though i would might even skip rocky balboa which is still a good movie yeah but... does rocky balboa does that have shia in it no she's shia dead it's so odd. Milo, she she's Milo dead. Familiar. She's That's dead. Who I'm uh, Italia Shire is dead, but Burt Young is still alive, but barely. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's so strange. Um, and yeah, he, so he, it's so weird. That it's like it it really does take more movies in the series to make it all like oh oh now I see what you were doing. Oh, that's okay. Oh, that's all right. It's fine. And I bet Rocky's studio and producers are like this movie's unbeatable. We're going up against some kid shit and a comedy. Like we are gonna take, we're gonna take the month in the box mm-hmm. office. And I mean, this was heavily marketed at me, but I don't try and imagine yourself in 1990 thinking what would be the big hit: the Disney movie, the fifth Rocky movie, or a little comedy set uh, set somewhere in Illinois, uh, starring Robert set in one house, <laughs> set in one house yeah. for the most part. Roberts Blossom, Catherine O'Hara, John Hurd, Daniel Stern, Joe Pesci. Uh, and Mac Ollie Culkin, number one at the box office, and I think at the, in the for top like the rest of the year, and uh, in the top ten of the box office for the rest of the decade. Ho, this is how Dave always writes it to me. Ho, space Malone. Ho, Malone. <laughs> We're gonna make a plane. In their rush to the airport, the McAllisters overlooked one minor detail. Kevin! Ah! Now his parents are in a panic. Somebody pick up. Two burglars are in trouble. We notice you're in there. And Kevin is in heaven. Home Alone. Ready PG. Starts Friday, November 16th. Wow, of all the songs used on the Home Alone soundtrack, that Little Richard one was not one of them. Odd, <laughs> odd marketing tool, but Home Alone debuts in the middle of November. I think. People my age think it's poised to be a success, but I don't think we would truly understand what a success it would go on to be. Nope. I I just can't... Like, this movie exists because John Hughes... Hey, that little blonde kid in Uncle Buck's pretty funny. I'm going to write a movie for him. (laughs) And (laughs) there's the genesis of an idea. So wild that that's, like, the germ of the idea because it kind of works perfectly. I had not seen this movie until last year. Are you kidding? (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of crazy because when I remember when it came out, I remember seeing previews for it. But again, like I said, I'm five. Mm -hmm. And I think I remember distinctly my parents being like, hey, let's watch this Christmas movie. And I'm like, I tap out of it so fast as a five-year-old because to me it was super scary because in my Um... little kid brain, I was thinking – 
what if this happens to me? I am not as smart and as mischievous as this child. I would never be able to set up all these booby traps. And then it just was too scary. Oh, I, to I tried so for, I had to, I tried try for, to sit it forever. I tried for months to create Kevin McAllister-esque Rube Goldbergian machines like this. I, don't, I shouldn't have to say this and be cynical, but like, there's no way a kid did this alone on an, in a night. It's just not possible. <laughs> well, it's just, I mean, it, I did, I, I did see, I didn't realize until later the McAllister's house sold for like $10 million and, and just, you're not thinking of that when you're a kid. So yeah, he might have well, every resource yeah. he needs. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it, it's a lot of space to defend. It's yeah. not a three bedroom ranch house. It's a fucking mansion. No, it's, it, it, there's all this stuff that like, I think I loved home alone as a kid. And then, and I'm sure other generations have something like this, but you didn't have Macaulay Culkin. And Macaulay Culkin is exactly my age and a millionaire movie star who all of whose movies go to number one. It's not just that, like, these Home Alone movies are cool. Like, Macaulay Culkin was a movie star who was kind of like me. It was just mm-hmm. a really exciting to be like, oh, I can read. I'll read every interview with Macaulay Culkin, too. So I was, like, just all up in this. It's really fun to to watch this as an adult after not having had the experience of watching it as a child because I did not have any attachment or baggage to it that might color your thinking and think like, oh, maybe this is like not as good as I thought it was, but I just loved it as a child. But I'm here to tell you, that's not true. This movie's fantastic. Like yeah. <laughs> I 100% loved every second of it watching it as a child or as an adult. So yeah, it 100% holds up. It is hands down my favorite Chris Columbus movie forever. And I, I, Gremlins yeah. means a lot to me, but that, you know, there's a Spielberg touch in there that isn't in here really at all. And it's it's mostly Chris Columbus because I kind of hate his, the touch he brings to most movies. Yeah. Well, I just blame the size of the house on him because every person in a Chris Columbus movie makes $80,000 an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All live in these gigantic. <laughs> Gigantic, unre- completely unreasonable houses for people who never seem to work or have any actual problems. Well, there's, yeah. obviously he, he does commentary in the DVD, but Netflix had uh, movies that made a series, and this is one of the first mm-hmm. episodes. And I, I watch this movie every year. I always have. I've watched it as an excited young person. I've watched it as a cynical teenager. My sister will put it on like, ah, again, and I'll just like, well, whatever. I'll sit all the way through this. This is great. And, yeah. and I watched it recently after that and just like watching Columbus like no no like we, we chose the house and the look of the house very intentionally I wanted to feel like it was out of time but like because so you watch this hmm. this now and it doesn't only when Kevin leaves the house or watches TV or do you see a product logo do you really have any inkling what year it is and hmm. yeah. the, the the music which I can't guarantee this half of those songs may have been staples but they weren't in like the top 10 Home Alone soundtrack is all Christmas staples. Nobody had really done that. He's like, no, we did that on purpose. And we chose, we didn't want to choose any new songs. We wanted old standards, the originals. And Hmm. like all these things you think are easy decisions, like Home Alone made. And I, I never promote things that I write because I hate my writing. But uh, I, I had Dave go through with me, the ultimate Home Alone fan. I tried to count the amount of things in order to defend Mr. and Mr. <laughs> Miss McAllister, who have been referred to as the worst parents of all time. I wanted to count how many things needed to happen in the movie in order to leave Kevin McAllister home alone. And it's like 16, 16 things in a row that have to happen immaculately. And things <laughs> things you don't really notice unless you like take a screenwriting course. Kevin's mom comes in like, uh, uh, I hope you guys are drinking milk. Uh, I want to get rid of it because it's going to expire. Why would anybody drink milk with their pizza? Oh, she just told them to. 
when they get in a fight, Kevin knocks over milk, which is opaque, obscuring the tickets he spilled <laughs> the milk on. Kevin's ticket in that sequence, which you may not be able to see if you grew up like me watching it on a 20-inch screen, they throw away <laughs> Kevin's ticket in that scene, which is why they show up to the gate and don't wonder where Kevin is. Because his ticket's mm. already gone. There's all these little tiny... That's amazing. You, That's like, wild. There's, there's 15 of these things. He upsets Fuller, so he has to sleep in the attic. That's why no one's sleeping anywhere near Kevin. Uh, that kid has to creep into the van and have his head counted during the head count. These are good parents, is, is what I'm saying. <laughs> it was not their fault. There are 15 immaculate connections that have to, like... Every synapse has to fire or Kevin is on the plane or everybody's off the plane. Yeah, uh, of course they're good parents. They're taking their horrible children to France so for, yeah. for the holidays. It's, of course. Like, yeah. come on. I did I did the math in that as well on four first-class tickets to France last minute and 20 tickets in, mm. in coach. How much you would have to make them like – Uncle Frank makes more than I do. He spent more on these tickets than I make in a year. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sorry, I've watched this movie yeah. a lot. I have it memorized. I Just- think, too, though, like, I mean, I, a lot. I think everyone talks about Macaulay Culkin, mm. like, what a big deal this is. But the adult acting in this is so yeah. good, too. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Joe Pesci is having a very fun, very weird year in 1990. <laughs> going from Goodfellas <laughs> to this. <laughs> I didn't even put it together. It was they're like six months ap- they're less than six months apart. And I mean, this is like is the year of Pesci. Yeah, this yeah. Is perfect. He is playing a clown, like in this movie. He and <laughs> it's I, a funny and clown. you can see it in every trivia. Like he had to work very hard not to curse in this movie, and even the <laughs> subtitles pull up Razafracken, which he I'm guessing is the word they came up with during the ADR, like. Joe, you really said a lot of racial slurs and a couple of anti-Semitic things, so I'm going to need you to say Razafrak in this. St- I'm not Razafrak. That's some Yosemite Sam talking it is. right there. Real. But also, Catherine O'Hara is just a, an MVP, honestly, and I'm not just saying that because I am deep into Ships Shit's Creek for like the third time in a row. But I just also watched Beetlejuice again. Me too. Damn, mm-hmm. she's she's really good. The best, simply mm-hmm. the best. Ah, she's so good at this. And she, she, she is the weird beating heart of realism in all these movies. By the yes. way, yes, like that reminds yeah. you that, like, no, there's a really terrible situation that goes beyond bank robbers and someone generally hurt by all this. And she bounces between, mm-hmm. you know, eyes crossing and fainting to like genuine maternal worry that is worth. Yeah, it worth, she will. Yeah. She has gone, you know, like full mama bear, and she will yeah. do anything to get home. Yeah, anything. And this is one of the movies too, where I feel like a lot of movies that we watch from this era, it's kind of easy to like break the fantasy by saying like, "Oh, this would be easily solved with a cell phone." But one of the steps movie, is all can't. the the power lines went out. Yeah. Uh, the phone is gone. There aren't cell phones. It's fucking right. great. Well, and also, I mean, this kid probably wouldn't have a cell phone anyway. Right. So, like, it's well, I don't know. They're very rich. They probably were... wouldn't have a cell phone in two thousand. I was there in nineteen ninety. You had a car phone or nothing. No one had a phone yeah. on them. And <laughs> but yeah, that, like every every cynical flaw you'd want to poke in this, like, is elaborately handled in the beginning. I'm telling you, there are yeah. fifteen things you can count, and they have to be in the right order. And if one of them falls apart, they realize Kevin's mm-hmm. upstairs. And mm-hmm. it's yep. really neat. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's weird because I'm I'm not a, a Christmas person. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not a Christmas celebrator. And so like, I've seen a lot of Christmas movies, but I don't have the same like levels of affection for them. They don't work on the same, they, they hit notes and the, those notes don't work on me mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. This one, I'm like 90% behind. Yeah. Nice. Like, but I mean, some of it is, it's like, I feel stupid even complaining how cartoony the violence is. Cause that's kind of the point. It is. It's it, kind of Wiley e. Coyote versus Roadrunner. I, yeah, there was the that. There was that YouTube channel that broke it down. Like, here's what happens when a paint can at that trajectory hits you in yeah. the head, and your skull oh. caves in, and it eats your brain. Said, one of the things that I don't like about this movie is having to look at Joe Pesci's like burned bald head. <laughs> like, just makes the top of my head hurt just to look at. I don't love that. Uh, this movie has my. All-time favorite movie scream, where Daniel Cern has a spider crawling oh, over his face. That's so great. I was thinking about that. <laughs> because I can't even do finding it. Out, finding out he had to loop it. Yes, because he, he could actually scream while he had the spider on his face. So he's just making a screaming face and just imagining him in a studio <laughs> later. Like, okay, take 84. Go, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> it is the loudest, bassiest, feminine scream I've ever seen in my entire life. And it, it's it makes me laugh every time I see it. I like every character in the movie. I like a, I like noticing little thing like the foreshadowing shit he'll use later is like mostly in Buzz's room because he's got mm-hmm. just a, a bunch of like 13-year-old delinquent garbage from a rich family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love this film. Uh and, and it's and, and I think the reason why whether you like Christmas movies or not, die like it. It is like, you know, a kid learning the value of his family and learning how to be less selfish. And Mm -hmm. there's a nice little message there. Uh, There's not a lot here. And and then for movies that are 30 years old and especially Chris Columbus movies, there's nothing like super embarrassing or regrettable or, you know, nothing you have to really cringe at. No racist, sexist horseshit in this film. There just isn't. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's very it's very sweet in a lot of places. I do feel like Macaulay Culkin, I mean, between Uncle Buck and this movie and Richie Rich, like really did act out all the childhood wish fulfillment yeah. that you could want. <laughs> being home alone and being able to eat whatever you want and like kind of have the run watch whatever you want on TV or whatever. That's like huge childhood wish fulfillment, Dude, I, especially for people of that age. I have that in my notes, Sarah, that like it's hard for me to watch it from that perspective, but that was part of it too. Like I'm I'm t- I'm eight to ten too. I want to be left alone. We have one TV and everyone's arguing over it. Mm-hmm. Someone, the only good pizza was still cheese pizza because you're a kid mm-hmm. and you're an idiot and you don't know how great toppings are. <laughs> uh, all of that shit. It was I, 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 I've related but, this movie on like on every character's level every time I watch it. <laughs> when you got the TV away from your mom, who was watching, I think we've established uh, Murphy Brown and China Beach, boring stuff and Beauty and the Beast, Kate and Beauty and the Beast, and Kate and Alley, boring stuff with girls in it. Did you really want to watch '40s gangster movies though? No, 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 no. I only want to watch cartoons up until this point. I, that I, was just for you, Diana. I, I even said in uh, my Facebook, Roger Rabbit, which came out in '89, that is the first non-clamshell VHS that I ever had uh home alone and batman were the next and mm-hmm. so i just i remember slipping stuff out of sleeve instead of cracking open a case with coupons for clorox in it um home alone is <laughs> part of that memory um sure <laughs> and in this movie stuck around the entire entire holiday and it was yeah. it became like it was just really 
cool to live through the phenomena of Home Alone and and not have to regret it because there's a lot of movies I don't feel that way about now. And Home Alone got a ton of shit from people who are older and didn't get it. But like, I'm I'm glad to have been part of the generation who grew up loving Home Alone. It's a Christmas it's... classic. I'm not ready to buy it again for thirty dollars in four K, but I'm tempted every day, every mm. goddamn day. It just you know, came out. It kind of makes me realize I don't. I didn't dig into. I read some reviews at the time, but I didn't see any of them tisk tisking saying, "Oh, this is going to encourage children to violence." No, I feel like that's the response we would get now. Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't really anything like that. And like, yeah, critics didn't hate this either. Like this, oh, uh, no, critics mostly liked it. Um, I also have to say something that feels a little bit vintage about it is that watching this kid like set up all these elaborate booby traps. He obviously like has an intimate knowledge of everything that's in his house. Yeah, like. You know, he's been in the garage a million times because he's been bored. He's been playing and stuff. I don't think that could exist now because I can tell you as li- because I live with a child, my stepson, <laughs> he just ha- he has no fucking idea what's in our garage. He doesn't know it's like in our in our closet, mine and Sam's closet. Thank God. Um, but, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but like because there's so many other entertainments for him, which is fine. I'm not like lamenting screen time, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just saying. I don't think he would be able to like find the paint cans in our garage yeah. to set up a Man. thing. But it is kids, it really kids today don't know how to light a blowtorch. Right? <laughs> it really does speak to like that childhood feeling of like knowing every inch of your own house because sometimes you're just bored and you just have to you just yeah. well what's it let me look what's in, you know, under my bed, under my parents' bed, in the closet, da-da-da, you know, like I set I up know, I set up funny. elaborate rooms in between the walls and your stepson has like the ultimate U space, and it just goes completely unused, and I find it baffling. I guess, I, I mean, I guess I, I wasn't overwhelmed with options. I had to watch Home Alone every day because there was nothing else competing with it on television. For real, that's the world I grew up in. So I don't. I'm not saying we had we we were doing it better. We had no other options but to like fuck around in our house, or you could watch Tango and Cash for the fourth time in a week. Uh, but yeah. Home Alone, uh, I think we're all th- we're th- we're all thumbing it up. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, I feel like if if I I'm really I'm glad to have heard heard Sarah's opinion. So it's like even mm-hmm. if you never saw it and you don't have nostalgia for it, still a good watch. Yeah. Still a great watch for sure. Even though the second one contains the current president, is still great. Uh, it, it's still great. Never I've never bothered with it. Oh, it's it's, it's the exact same we'll to it. film for the most we'll part, the but course. there's a, a bunch yeah. of beautiful New York shots in it. Hmm. Um, and and. Uh, and uh, moving on to television, this is an equally significant week for television. Two finales this week significant to me. Um, Chippendale's Rescue Rangers ends, uh, concludes, or airs its last episode, let's say, because the, they would run it on in the Disney afternoon for another like half a decade and then on other channels for another decade. Yeah, uh, I was like, wait, didn't we just talk about it premiering? And we did. It premiered mm-hmm. in March 89. It's considered yeah. three seasons in a year and a half of 65 episodes total. Yeah, wow. they, And then they just run them and run them and run them into the ground. It's something a lot of companies, most companies, like even Hanna-Barbera, couldn't even really afford to do. You get lucky and the Flintstones is on the air for seven years, and then you have enough episodes to run every day without kids getting bored. What this model was based on was uh, the syndicated cartoon block, meaning this can go basically on any channel. It's not owned by any network. I know I have to explain that to some of our younger or foreign listeners. But uh, yeah, to produce 50 episodes in a year so people won't see a ton of reruns. Like, uh, let's say if you're a fan of Rick and Morty, 
You get ten new episodes a year, and you got to watch them every week. Uh, you get you get to watch uh, fifty like forty to fifty episodes a year, and then forty fifty episodes the next year. And there there's a third season of five episodes. That is all she wrote. There's been no new form of Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers animation up until I believe the current Ducktales, which is just. Wow. The Disney Afternoon, uh, but it's it's remembered fondly by people like me, and I looked into it. It didn't really have a finale, and yeah. and 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 most kids' cartoon shows didn't. I think Gum- we did a laser time on the subject of animated endings that mattered because most animated shows take so long to make they don't know when their last episode is coming up. Uh, the uh, an exception we're about to talk about here is Pee Wee's Playhouse. Pee Wee's Playhouse is. It's so weird to talk about because, yes, obviously it's my... It's just weird, dude. It's my nostalgia factors in, but like I would never ask you... I would never recommend you go watch Old Sesame Streets or Eureka's Castle, but Pee-wee's Playhouse is playing on a very bizarre level. It is... Uh, I always called I called Pee Wee's Big Adventure the Scott Pilgrim for boomer kids. Um, it is <laughs> it is filled with nostalgic Godzilla, howdy doody horseshit. Boomers find nostalgic, and Pee Wee is filled with that too. And it's pretty surreal how they'll just interrupt something with like just a straightforward industrial film about washing your hands. They'll just <laughs> or, or or a public domain cartoon, but it also is like incredibly postmodern and in in more inclusive than most television shows there is uh there are women and people of color and people of every there's there's a king that hangs out with the postman and like it's it fucking rules like and it's great to get baked and still watch and it's still funny on an adult level and it's still a kid show like that literally tells your kids like go in the kitchen grab the biggest pot you can find and bash it Ah!" (laughs) ends this week and uh, um it does and it doesn't have an ending and I find mm-hmm. that really nice because I think if I'm guessing Paul Rubens and the Pee Wee people didn't want it. They did want to end the show because I didn't know. And you can tell now it's very expensive. It is huge and takes like weeks to make one episode uh, is very elaborate. There's a lot of stop motion work in it. It's it's pretty big. And he, he said people were exhausted. So I think they bulked up together and filmed 20 of the episodes or like the net, like they had two, I'm just saying they had two seasons in the can when Paul Rubens is caught in that movie theater. Because oh. if that hadn't happened, I don't think we would have seen more than like two and a half seasons of Pee Wee. But they, if you remember, you saw his arrest <laughs> mugshot and like, that's a, that's a really scary beard, Paul. I hope Pee Wee yeah, never wears that. All along. That's, I had to yeah. double check. That's July 91. That hasn't oh, happened wow. yet. Oh, it hasn't happened yet? No, that has not happened yet. Oh, okay. See, I thought I thought he's they were still airing the episodes out, but okay, if that's I they were. I feel like they were, but they pulled them from reruns. They they happened. did because the show was an instant phenomenon. You should read adults' reviews of Pee Wee's Playhouse. It it is for all intents and purposes a kids show that airs after Muppet Babies, but like adults were like, dude, this is incredibly compelling, and I can't look away. What <laughs> what is it with this show? Um, so the episode is called Playhouse for Sale, and Miss Yvonne comes in, uh, goes to the playhouse, and notices a sign that says for sale, and Pee Wee's not there, and it has a little clip show of remembering the good times they had, because Pee Wee is clearly moving, and you know, then it turns out like, no, it fell down, it was lemonade for sale. <laughs> but there's two inklings that let you know it's the last episode, and this clip will emphasize both of them. Um it's one is it the secret word? Do you remember? You guys remember what the secret word is? 
You have to scream real loud. You got to scream real loud whenever anybody says a secret word. It could be chocolate or nice or something like that. Spoiler, the secret word is word because I don't think they want to think about this anymore. And <laughs> and uh, this is the only inkling you have that it's the finale. The playoffs will always be here for everyone to play in forever and ever and ever. On that, you have my word. Yeah! <laughs> uh, I love this show. And uh, I, I loved it. And like Home Alone, I've loved it at a bunch of different ages. It's, it's held up for me. Again, I don't watch old Mr. Rogers or even Bob Ross, man. Pee-wee's Playhouse is something more weird and surreal. There's a cool documentary about the puppetry, uh, the guy who made that. I forget his name, but it, mm-hmm. the documentary is called uh, Beauty is Embarrassing. Great title. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> really great, good title. Great title. Uh, also out this week, Dennis Hopper hosts SNL with musical guest Paul Simon. Um, Wait, Again? Is it like the third week for Paul Simon? Uh, I feel like that's true, but may- he must have been in 2000 last week. I think, I think, you're, I don't know. No, I think we were talking. Oh, yeah. Oh, never mind. Yes, Someone because was last week. Three times. We oh. did, because last week it was Callista Flockhart and Paul Simon right. in, oh, nine, so 2000. in 2000, because right. I was like, two oh. tiny little white people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that's where I always say Paul Simon is the first musical guest to reach the Five Timers Club, because. Right. He was. Uh, he so yes, out in New York he did alive. kind of have this conversation. Yes. Okay. And right. uh, we would be remiss. Different two tiny white people. Now. <laughs> we, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up uh, this week's L.A. Law, which has a, another great episode title. Does anybody else want to read this? Smoke gets this in your thighs. Smoke gets in your thighs. <laughs> which, by the way, when I was looking at the episode, see what it was about. When you Google "smoke gets in your thighs," brings up a lot of barbecue restaurants, <laughs> 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 which is real fun. <laughs> So what is this? Is this about like an overheated vibrator? What is like a lawsuit resulting from it? I looked at the episode description. I could not figure out the connection between the two of them. I know that the biggest, the overall um, story, legal story that was going on is that the the lawyers were representing um, a gay man who was caring for his partner who had ALS and the partner's family was blocking him from seeing his partner at the end of his life. Oh, no. But yeah, I don't know. Freaking serious for a title like smoke gets in your really is right. (laughs) And um, I am. I'm way off of these dates. We just did a whole uh, podcast double episode about the work of Stephen King, or I, I should have clarified, but I intentionally didn't. Uh, the adaptations of Stephen King and how I remember I was a cartoon kid in love with Pee Wee's Playhouse. I had no awareness of most of what was happening on primetime television that wasn't The Simpsons or Fox. And all anybody talked about for two weeks after this was what happened in Stephen King's It, which is 30 years old this week. I, I'm shocked mm-hmm. they didn't air this two weeks earlier. But uh, Richard Thomas, John Ritter, Annette O'Toole, Harry Anderson, Tim Reed, Jonathan Brandis, is he in there somewhere? Um, I think so. And Tim motherfucking Curry. Tim Curry mm-hmm. uh, in It. And um, I think It <laughs> holds up pretty well. Um, uh, no, I actually think this is... I love It. I cannot stand the adult portions. And unlike the split up movie that we got in theaters, this jumps back and forth because it knows one of the, one of these stories is way weaker than the other. Um, so I don't think there's truly a definitively satisfying version of it. Here's a clip. Tuesday night. It's 30 years later. And right on schedule, the killing start up again. Six so far, maybe more. It's back and it's mad. Take your pick. 
Billy boy. Something bad's going to happen to one of us. Get out of Derry while you still can. I'm going back in. This time I'm going to kill it. Something's coming. The thrilling conclusion of Stephen King's It, Tuesday night. This was a movie over two nights. It was a huge success. Something like 30 million people watched one or more parts of it. Yeah, it was it was like the highest rating thing, I think, like the whole month. I mean, it was ginormous. And it's tough because we're on network television. So there's a level of scary we can do and a level of scary we can't do. Right. And a lot of a lot of this comes off as unintentionally funny. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, oh, that's God. why I I love what I think holds up the best is the kids parts. The kid, they're yeah. great actors. You believe there's a genuine sense of terror happening. I don't really want to see anything get too gory when they're around, and I definitely don't want to see them have sex at the end. Uh, listen, oh, Lord have mercy. Listen to that Stephen King episode because that's how he wanted it. Sorry, did you, yeah. uh, you guys didn't hear that episode, but Kevin remembers lines specifically from that scene, so he knows which kid has a bigger dick. Um, <gasps> like that. <Ew. laughs> It, Kevin, it is so disturbing. Well, that's he, he he didn't know what he was about to read when he was a kid. <laughs> all of a sudden, all these children would have sex. Uh, look into more of that later. I'd rather not take. Uh, I, I don't want to debase this this show with that kind of discussion. But <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> sure. see, but uh, uh, this was all anybody could talk about. And I remember I didn't see the clown and the gutter sequence, but just hearing about it, I can't look it up. <laughs> I can't rent it. Haunted me for fucking years. And I remember when I finally saw it, it's like, yeah, that's exactly how I imagined it. I didn't see this until like a few years ago, but I'd, I'd seen clips before that. But like, it was exactly how I imagined it. And it's such a fucking creepy thing. And what a great thing to creep kids out with, like creep them out with little mysterious things they see every day mm-hmm. that they walk past on the way to church. Um, I don't, part of this is brilliant. Part of this is terrible. I've never read the book and I don't intend to. I just hate the adult stuff. I'm tired of saying it. You guys, what do you think of it? Mm. yeah pretty much the same um i mean the adult stuff is fun because they're mostly recognizable actors to me Mm. being an old person and um (laughs) it's a little frustrating because it's like they spend so much time not doing anything first Mm. like they take time to convince each other that you know it's back and then they just like go to town and are just sort of like i don't want to be here i'm leaving no you have to stay and it's like you're you're like bothering you're taking all this time with like who's got what room in the hotel and it's like Get off your asses and do something. You're fucking grown-ups. You're grown-ups. Why don't you hire a fucking Ghostbuster? I just saw a movie about it. (laughs) How about go get guns? You're illegal adults. Go Uh, buy a bunch of shotguns. Let's start there. It's Maine. You can find them pretty much anywhere, I imagine. (laughs) Come on. And Tim Curry, that man knows how to ham. Mm -hmm. Oh, Lord, does he know how to ham. God bless him. Yeah, and I... I, 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 Going to Comic-Cons. Oh, remember those? people together celebrating <sighs> anyway we're going to cons like uh pennywise was one of the most cosplayed characters i'd ever seen and it's not like it's easy to pull off either like yeah <laughs> it, it's so uh yeah this clearly made an indelible mark on on everyone who came in contact with it and and, and even just the format i don't think is this is the first stephen king tv movie a uh, two-part mm-hmm. event no, i can't i think we probably have the langoliers somewhere in there uh somewhere but like it became an event after this. Like, it happened a lot after this. Uh, mm-hmm. Stephen King could spin anything into gold. Um, and moving into games very quickly, because there's not a lot to talk about, because, uh, spoiler, next week, the Super Nintendo will be out 
in Japan. So, Ooh. yeah. So not a lot happening here. Of course, we will go way more into depth. We still need to get that October episode out. Patreon.com slash LaserTime. The music of 1990, the uh, November 13th to the 19th. We got new releases. Uh, Ween's debut album, God Ween Satan, The Oneness. <laughs> uh, Choke by The Beautiful South. Anything is Possible by Demi Gibson. Five-Man Acoustical Jam by Tesla. Reverberation by Echo and the Bunnymen. Naive by KMFDM and the debut of the Cherry Poppin' Daddies. Won the Yellow Ribbon Award for the best band name ever. It won't age, age poorly at all. Uh, their album, Ferociously Stoned. I hate. I hated their name from the beginning, and it's just so much worse now. How mm. they, they they have to be touring now as CPD, right? Got <laughs> We'll close out the 1990 segment because this has been a fucking long one. With Enlighten Me by Echo and the Bunnymen. We'll be right back with 2000, and you're going to want to stay there because we're not done talking about very famous Christmas movies yet. Stay right there. Regimental in my way, detrimental at the end of the day, but you won't be so. No, you won't be so. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time Network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. I've been um, clinically depressed. A lot of things that have been happening this week includes my doctor quitting. And me having mm. to find a new doctor. You broke them? I did. He quit via suicide. No, he, uh, but, but uh, no. <laughs> Funny suicide joke. Uh, no, he, he just moved. So, but like, I'm in the middle of like, oh God, I need a new, my plumber literally broke up with me and my doctor left me. Like, Are you I'm having in... a gastro issue? Is that why your plumber and your doctor both had to leave? <laughs> I've been, I've been, uh, I am mainlining baked beans. This election has got me so nervous. Baked beans. I've got one inch piece of shit left in me. I got another one I quit, you fucker. Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Coming in with Independent Women Part 1 by Destiny's Child. Um, it is number one this week. I never heard Part 2. Did they, mm. did they make one? Throw your hands up at me. Charlie, how your angels get down like that? Forever not marring the song for some reason? Like it's still on the radio every day? Welcome to 2000, November 13th to the 19th. We also have new music releases. The self-titled debut of 3LW. Uh, I just want to sing. Three Little Women. Is that what... <laughs> Which I also closed out that segment with the Kate and Allie credits. So, <laughs> uh, a little trivia. So I can't believe people caught that. Like, lol, Kate and Allie credits. Like, I had to look that up, dude. I didn't remember that. Uh, I just want to sing by uh, Music Soul Child. Is it just music? 
Uh, Bridging the Gap by Charlie Wilson. Conspiracy of One by The Offspring. Didn't See Me Coming by Keith Sweat. Exposed by Shantae Moore. Getty Lee's solo debut right on time in 2000. Uh, My Favorite Headache. Uh, Lovers Rock by Sade. Sound Loaded by Ricky Martin. Beatles One, the biggest selling album of the decade. Is that, yep. is that the one with uh, the brand new Beatles song? By that, um, I mean the old John Lennon song? No, that was the anthology, which is out a while okay. ago. But these are like, it's a best of the three. This, you're and right. This is There hasn't been another Beatles compilation album since this. This is still what you see in stores. Yep. I thought Beatles, wasn't there Beatles anthology? There, there were three that of those, earlier. yeah. But this, oh, is, this okay. is the album, you'll, you'll see it in stores with just a big yellow number one on it. Yeah, it's their number ones. Mm-hmm. And I have a stupid question, but when you say the biggest selling album album of the decade, you mean 2000 to 2009? Yes. Okay. Sweet. Not and and Holly. Sure maybe it was the other way. Also out this week, uh, your parents are scooping up right alongside the Beatles one, Hollywood in the Shadows of Death by Marilyn Manson, his first release post-Columbine, which, if you recall, he was solely responsible for. Yeah, <laughs> we all know this. Yeah, there's not a single bit of responsibility on the school, the parents, or the gun manufacturers. We're, we're I Americans. Have to say, Those all make Lover, money. I have to say, Lover's Rock by Sade is a real Bone Zone album. I mean, Sade, Sade. is always Bone Zone, but By Your Side, ooh, girl. Oh, I mean, that's on that one. Okay, yeah. Yes. One. We were Very going off on, a, on the Bone Zoniness of Chris Isaacs. Oh, song. Oh, yeah. Every Sade <laughs> video is just that. That is all it is. <laughs> sign me and up. It is. <laughs> I don't know what for, but sign me up. <laughs> um. Oh, God. This is like such a relief, and I'm so glad we ha- got to talk about it this week and not last. Uh, 2000 News. This brings me back. Um. The fucking recounts still going on in Florida. Gore is pushing for hard recounts in four southern counties, including Palm Beach, which had a butterfly ballot and statistically unlikely high number of wins of Pat Buchanan uh, voters. Votes. I believe that was the primarily Jewish county that was baffled that yeah. it seemed to be entirely go for the fundamentalist Christian. <laughs> yeah, when for the guy is he's not a Nazi, but Nazis agree with him a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that guy. And then there were like a ton of elderly Jewish Palm Beach voters who were out and was like, "I'm pretty sure I hit the wrong one. <laughs> the ballot was confusing. Can we vote again?" And they're like, "No." Yeah. Oh. I'm seeing a bunch of TV televangelists like right now. Like, if you're saying prayers for the fashy racists, you're either wasting prayers or they don't work. So, <laughs> get together, well, Christians. You should. I mean, I guess if Biden wins, that's not God's will. <laughs> no, God's. Ju- I thought God did everything. I mean, I thought I, you thought he was more powerful than that, but you know, the devil's such a trickster; he's never been able to catch him. <laughs> I'm just. I am so glad that it's. Ugh, things are not close enough that I don't think it's going to draw out for months. I mean, Trump can say whatever he wants for the next five weeks or mm-hmm. whatever, but he's been doing it for four years, so why not? Why stop? I, it's now? just. It's just yeah, that like stop now. The thing but we were worried about is not that as close as right. it was. So it's not, not likely to change. We thought. We thought. Uh, I think some of our worst case scenario was that there'd be some ambiguity or things would be so close they would argue it until they got tired of arguing it. Whereas now it's just like no. It, genuine act of deceitfulness and evil needs to occur for you to win this. And They're I'm not saying it won't. Counting. And it's still getting further and further yeah. away from Trump. Yeah, it's like, yeah. 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 It, and if, if they can find real evidence of wrongdoing, go for go it. For you it man. Do recounts? Go for it. Go for it. Um, I'm cool with that. But I bet you don't. And I bet if you do, you'll end up losing votes. 
<laughs> some hayseed yep. went in there with a goddamn mail sack. Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. I don't know about you guys. I'm laying four to one on Trump resigning now. Oh, really? I think it's not fun anymore. Yeah. yeah look- I don't think he's ever really had fun with this because I don't think he ever really wanted it. But no, yeah. He loves I mean- attention and power, and he got both of those. And now, oh, you mean I'm going to have to start giving it away? I don't want to. I don't want I'm going to burn all the records during the transition. Yeah, I think he's going to say, I accomplished everything I meant to accomplish. And so I'm resigning because I did such a great job. We got half a wall. I've created some future supervillains out of some uh, Mexican kids unnecessarily. Uh, <laughs> created a fraught situation in the Middle East forever. Billionaires will be able to sleep tight knowing they will. their grandchildren will wake up billionaires. Uh, I, my work their here is done. Their grandchildren won't wake up because our planet is fucked. Yes, yes. They will, and our guillotines are sharp. But they will use our bones to filter their water. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, patreon.com slash laser time. Make sure my bones do not go into billionaire's water filter. Um, people, <laughs> people magazine, sexiest man alive. Congratulations to Brad Pitt. To up until this point, his beauty was never celebrated. Oh, I'm seeing you this, this, this second time he's won this prestigious award. Is this our first two timer? I don't care. I, I know Matt Damon's taken it I twice. I feel like they recycle the same bros all the time do they yeah i can't believe that like didn't harrison ford win it like twice well and... that seems yeah denzel's won won a couple times and... yeah okay i and... mean i'm just still waiting holding out for bradley whitford to take that title and... <laughs> uh i mean have you actually picked up the issue that's always what happens oh jessica tandy one runner-up great and <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, and speaking of dishing on celebs, guys, Catherine Zeta-Jones and Michael Douglas tie the knot to become Hollywood royalty. Actually, cynicism aside, turns out, yes, they are still yes. together. Still together. You know, kind of one of my favorite low-key couples. A little bit, like, yeah. They're just like chill. They've survived like some real tragedy mm-hmm. in their in, while married, including him, her giving him throat cancer with her pussy. <laughs> I really no, thought I was. Know she did it, or I thought it was just he had I mean, been around the block. You know that man. You know that man be around the block quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. What else? What is he saying? Like, no, no, I don't go down on my wife. <laughs> <laughs> We're married. Oh, it's uh, not a thing to joke about. But I do. <laughs> I mean, he's such a like Michael Douglas just like built his whole public persona around being this like weird pussy hound that like it's just so <laughs> funny to me. It's only funny because he survived. Uh, yes, yeah. he survived to make some That's Marvel movies, point. and she survived to do some T-Mobile ads. I have not seen her in an actual movie in a very long time. Uh, well, I mean, she's had, well, she. I remember not that long ago. I mean, she came out very publicly with her with a mental health diagnosis. I think she, she said that she was very public about coming out and saying, "Like, look, I've been diagnosed with bipolar too," which is like huge, oh. really cool thing to do for a celebrity mm-hmm. to like just come out and be like, "Yeah." I've, I've been working on this and this is part of my life and you can still, you know, just like everyone else, you know? And when you can cure Very bipolar, cool. that's when you'll get a third Zorro movie. Now shut up. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, to the movies of 2000, um, November 13th, the 19th, Code Unknown with Juliet Binoche. I have not heard uh, of this movie. Well, it's can season and we have a Michael Haneke movie. Oh, God. Fortunately, uh, this one is... Less punishing than usual, mm-hmm. but uh, okay. it's about like intersecting lives and it's done with really long takes and it's not, you know, the white ribbon or a more, it's not quite so punishing, 
Mm. But, you know, it's very French and foreign. I'm, I'm nostalgic for VHS this week, and I was a big hunter for Blockbuster's previously viewed section. <laughs> That's <laughs> how I ended up owning a ton of VHSs. Buy, buy one, get, like buy two, get one free. $5 previously viewed videos. And I saw this movie every single time in the hunt and was just like, mm. no. I'm sorry, Bounce. You don't have what it takes. Uh, Jennifer, sorry, Jennifer Gray, Natasha Hentridge, uh, Tony Goldwyn, Gunnar Paltrow, and Ben Affleck. I believe this is, I mean, they were a power, a Hollywood power couple. Yes, okay. they, were, they were a big old couple. I was trying to remember if that was when this was happening. I actually watched this this weekend because it is definitely one of those movies I saw on Blockbuster all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if I saw it. It's a, it's a very like nice little movie. You know, it's it's fine. It's yeah. it does have some interesting things in it in that it's like it's a movie about airlines right before 9-11. So, yeah. I mean, it opens with like people trading plane tickets and going up to the gate to meet people. And it's like, <laughs> oh, nostalgia. Oh, no. But it's also been like co- totally destroyed by 9-11 because it's about like Ben Affleck gives his ticket to Tony Goldwyn and gets on the plane and then the plane crashes and Ben Affleck's advertising agency because guys in movies only have one job and it's advertising (laughs) Um, like they're hired to like make a bunch of ads about like you know nancy graysmith was a mom and a and she died on this plane and the airline celebrates her life and it's like that's not how that works Mm -mm. airlines don't put out ads pointing out that they killed people Mm -mm. no 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 but then, I mean, but then Ben Affleck feels really bad and he meets up with Gwyneth Paltrow, who's Tony Goldwyn's uh, widow, and like they start a relationship. And then uh, there was a point, the point I turned the movie off was I realized how many movies have I seen in my entire fucking life that has a scene where someone says, when were you going to tell me? You've been lying to me this whole time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because like it, they hook up without him saying like, I knew your husband right before he died. Right. I do have to. Yeah. It, I How don't say many the, fucking movies? <laughs> that's why my the, one of my favorite they, Steve Martin lines in two of his movies is, "And this is how I find out." You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, was going to tell you, but I, I didn't know what the right time was. <laughs> You've the way been they lying get there, the way they get there is kind of interesting, though. Like, so Ben Affleck and Tony Goldwyn are like just randomly are hanging out together, two strangers in like a airport bar with another woman and that woman happens to have like a video camera that she's just got and so she's playing with it so she's like videotaping the three of them three strangers just like hanging out drinking have a good time Mm -hmm. and then later on in the movie she's like tracks down the widow i was like hey i have this videotape of your husband right before he got on the plane and that and she sees ben affleck and said that's how she knows that they were together right before he died kind of an interesting mechanism to use to get Mm -hmm. to that place i feel Mm -hmm. like could have been different i don't know it's yeah. fine. I feel like the acting's very good. I mean, watching this, like, Gwyneth Paltrow does some really good face acting in this, where she, <laughs> she like, realizes something, and her face changes, like, very subtly, I've noticed. And I was kind of thinking, like, yeah, I'm really glad for these kinds of, like, smaller, quiet, non-blockbuster movies with these huge stars, because that's when a lot of times you do see, like, oh, yeah, they are good actors. They are, they are really good at their craft. Like, we can separate them from like the huge blockbusteriness of like whatever they are known for. And, and you can see them kind of really do the work, you know? 
Hmm. And I think that Ben Affleck and Gwyneth Paltrow are both doing the work in this movie. So I do think yeah. that is something good to say. And it's very sweet. Yeah. It's just sort of, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. fine. I've seen this a dozen times. This is, sure. this is the response. That was my response to all of the movies of this week in 2000. Because <laughs> here we have yeah. sandwiching the Rugrats cinematic trilogy. Cinematic trilogy. Is it The Empire Strikes Back? The one with the downer ending after... Chucky I, loses a hand or whatever his name I'm, is. I'm not the guy. To, I, I checked out after the Reptar mobile and jumped right back in when they met the Thornberries, which means I missed, uh, yes, I missed the Dark Knight of Rugrats movies, uh, Rugrats in Paris, the movie. Say please. 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 The Rugrats are going to Paris. Please. They speak French already. They're seeing new faces. Come on. I'll show you the shortcut. Visiting new places. And getting the biggest surprise. I'm gonna get some Bobby. Yeah, that'll be the day. Of their tiny little lives. Rugrats in Paris, the movie. Hey, you got Bobby? Wait for me. Somebody needs a nap. Oh, Phil and or Lil. Wait, when do Jay-Z and Kanye show up? Uh, I was going to make that joke. That is that is the Walmart <laughs> version of their song. <laughs> I did. I, I really didn't see this movie, and I really did see the other two in theaters. So I'm I'm a little surprised that I've never seen it. But this is I can confirm. You can find this in triple feature Walmart bargain bins everywhere in standard definition for like two dollars. I think this is one of the most profitable things Nickelodeon has ever had. So it's I do find it a little bizarre. It's not treated a little better because. Mm-hmm. I, I still am captivated. I think Klasky Chupo, the people who made Rugrats, it, it is to me one of the most 90s designs of anything mm-hmm. I've ever seen. I find it very garish and ugly. And the idea of it being 24 frames a second uh, in wide cinematic widescreen like, just <laughs> really tickles me for some reason. So I'd love to see this in high definition while very, very high on a day with nothing else to do. Uh, a, a movie I just... Oh, I'm sorry. Does anybody else have any more on Rugrats in Paris? <laughs> Literally not a word. I'm way too old for this. One, uh, yeah, one, one, one note, and it's like I was you know, explaining to my girlfriend what the Muppets have been up to and that the last movie was Muppets Most Wanted. Why do screenwriters always assume kids want to travel to dreary brown European countries? Like, <laughs> I, did you ever want to do that when you were like 10? Yes, like, I was obsessed. Well, yeah. I mean, from the age of... Four, I was obsessed with France really? because of the Phantom of the Opera. Okay. I my dream was to go to Paris, and I was a huge Francophile from a very weirdly young age. <laughs> it was like me in Australia. I am me in Australia, thanks to Rescuers Down Under and Young Einstein, and, yeah. <laughs> and only those. I two. think I was just was the only thing about France I was always interested in was what's the Snoopy one where they go to France uh, and they bon, have Bon Voyage Charlie Brown. Bon Voyage Charlie Brown where they and they have uh, that car that's got like the cool roll top on it. Yeah. It's sort of like a VW Bug, but it's like that. They're like a Pojo. I actually know what they are. I looked it up. It's like I don't know why, but. That goofy roll top on that car was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to France. Yeah, I haven't written about <laughs> anything like that in a long time, but like most people don't even remember the the Peanuts have had four theatrical movies while Charles Schultz is alive and one after. And now the Rugrats movies are kind of the same way. Movies that made a ton of money that were huge, hmm. incredibly culturally important, but like you might find them running on the Hallmark channel at, at like six in the morning. And that's the only reason you remember they existed. Uh, trying to think I mean why would France be such a big thing for little kids I don't know I don't remember that many people I was I, I think I hit puberty the moment Hunchback of Notre Dame came out so like I wasn't in for that yes mm. I was very into that also and yeah 
I think probably because I also always loved smoking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to love this Rugrats movie. I did not smoke until I turned 18, but I knew even as a young child, I would smoke cigarettes when I got older. It was just always a thing that I was like, this is very cool and I can't wait to do it. I don't do it anymore, but. Yeah, we're not advocating smoking. Uh, this movie's fucking terrible. Uh, Robert Duvall, Sarah Winter, Michael <laughs> Rooker, Tony Goldwyn. Um, again. Again, he's, he's pulling a John Candy in this decade. Michael Rapport. Ma! Pack your bags, fucko. Uh, Pack your bags, fucko. <laughs> highlight of my week. <laughs> and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Jesus, please. Hey. let's let, let, Hold on. Let me say that again. Arnold Schwarzenegger, The Sixth Day. Do you remember anything after being scanned? A human was cloned. That human was you. Well, you cloned the wrong man. You and you're not him. I know who I am. The sixth day. PG 13. I know who I am. I like me. My wife likes me. My customers like me. (laughs) How do you know that you're not him and he's not you? Was so Michael Rappaport. You could be him and I could be you and I could be inside you right (laughs) now. This is... How the fuck are you supposed to know? He's hey, inside on. you, you inside him. This, this, ma, this guy doesn't know who he is. I saw this. I saw this once. I thought this was incomprehensible. Fuck you, Ezekiel. I saw this once. I could not. I I could not. It was so. I thought it was so boring. I I could not finish it. Did anybody else get to watch this this week? Uh, I watched it many years ago and remember thinking we're like most of the way to a good movie and it just didn't work for me. Uh, Some critics really liked it. Uh, Ebert really liked it. He was like, this is my kind of sci-fi. And in a lot of ways it goes with Total Recall and Total Recall is way fucking superior, but Mm -hmm. it's kind of following that same idea of like, how do you know you're really you? Because they're cloning people all over the place in this movie, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, Oh, this guy's—he's supposed to be a pilot for Tony Goldwood, and then like there's a crash, and this friend that he died that died in the crash like is shows up at his house, and he's like, "What?" And like now there's another him running around, and he's trying to figure out like, "Is everybody a fucking clone? Why am I a clone? I'm, am I the clone or am I the real one?" Mm. And then there's a lot of violence and shooting and running amok, but it's like, uh it would make an okay double feature with Total Recall, but Total Recall is the closer. Like you watch that one second, that yeah. is the top of the bill, man. It's odd because the posters have very similar imagery. Arnold almost in the exact same kind of machine with his, yeah. his face locked into stuff. I just look, glance at the wiki. This is also Terry Crews' film debut. Hey! <laughs> yes. so, After he got out of the football? I'm glad, I just, Happy anniversary. Like if I was on my deathbed and you told me like, don't worry, your kids are taken care of. And it turns out, yes, Arnold did fight Terry Crews once. It's just in a movie you don't like. This is great. <laughs> this is, and then I tell the kids where I buried the treasure and I'm out. And um, Yeah, but a lot, the, it's we're replicating 1990 here because mm-hmm. like a lot like Rocky Five, they, they they thought, oh, well, we got a big star. You know, it's it's a in a genre people like. This is going to be great. Lots of action. Six Day lost a whole bunch of money mm-hmm. and it got its lunch completely eaten by a family film again um yeah no one goes up against the really christmasy blockbuster franchise movies anymore 
And, yeah, well, uh, I mean, there's people will counter program, but I and I'm sure that's what they were thinking. Like, oh, you take the kids to see this movie and then you go see uh, the sixth day or maybe the kids want to see it. Uh, but yeah, it, people will learn their lesson by the time we get to 2010, where mm-hmm. everyone just gets the fuck out of the way for the family movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're smarter by then. <laughs> they realize that nah, 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 nah. uh, a movie, the next movie, number one of the box office, I think very, very sadly, an institution. <sighs> Christine Barinsky. I just looked it up. It's at a playing in a theater near me. Wow. Wow. You should. Everyone should look that look into that right now because your theaters are playing some real weird shit. They're like relying on Jurassic Park and Goonies to get them through this. Uh, Christine Bar- again, a great cast. Mm-hmm. Christine Barinsky, Taylor Momsen, Bill Irwin, uh, Jeffrey Tambor, and Jim Carrey. Um, yes, Joe Biden. Kids, you've been loving him as Joe Biden, but he was originally famous for things like this. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. This holiday season is a time for giving. A time for sharing. Merry Christmas! A time... Those who's are at it again. To get Grinched. On November 17th, Jim Carrey in a Ron Howard film. I can't believe I'm actually looking at Santa Claus. <laughs> Grinch rated PG at theaters Friday, November 17th. Mm. I, I don't like Yo. this so much. I, I don't, I hate it. I don't hate this movie. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I really I, don't I, hate you, it. You start and let me ruin it for you. Okay. Oh, no, it's fine. I mean, the, I have a really good memory of going to see this in the theaters when it came out because my sister was pretty young, the the target age for this. And so she was really excited about it. And, and I, I was excited, too. And yeah, I don't hate it. I don't think it's necessary. Obviously, the cartoon is perfect. But um, I but I don't I don't really get the hate of it, honestly, because they had to. This, this is why. Uh, Dr. Seuss's wife has been so reluctant to make movies. She actually has has made a, a stipulation that there will be no more live action movies based on his work because in order to fill out a hundred hundred and five minutes of quality family entertainment, this is a sixteen page book. <laughs> mm-hmm. They have yeah. to invent so much unnecessary gobbledygook nonsense. And I'm a I'm your Christmas yeah. fan here. I love all that mm-hmm. shit. But like when you watch The Grinch. That is one of the most perfectly told stories ever. 25 mm-hmm. minutes, you're out. It's just like, like you, everything you need to know. I'll say this. Nobody else could have played the Grinch other than Jim Carrey and had me this. I, I'm this not upset because at least Jim Carrey is an animated person. Because they, they're, they're not so much celebrating the book. They are, they are celebrating the Chuck Jones 1960s cartoon. That's what this yes. is. This is an adaptation of an adaptation. That's why I hate it. Yeah. It is. It's. It's the same yeah. reason I hate Beauty and the Beast remake. The, the stuff Disney's doing now and ad, ad, adapting an adaptation is boring and without soul. And you have all yeah, this money unless, and people who want to do something, do something original. And, yeah, you, you got to do something new. And I guess what they do new here is they they give the Grinch a whole bunch of backstory. They fill out the characters in the town. But I'm not interested in them. It's it's a kind of dark and grim looking movie. Like the the town is clearly all set based, and 
it's cartoonish looking, but also just sort of right. dark. That's it's I, that's my the same thing. The, 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 are these little rat face fuckers? <laughs> Why the fuck did they make them so rat face? They could have just been little people. Yeah, they could have been See, regular little people. That's Instead part of, of what I, like little moles. That's part of what I like about it. I like the darkness of it, though. Like, I just think if, if I took off my glasses and you turn the sound down, you could have told me this was Batman and Robin. And, and, and I would have See, believed I'm not you. Mad, I'm not mad at any of that. I do like a little bit of a darker Christmas feel to things. Well, and, 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 and I usually it. only want darkness in my Christmas movies because I am that kind of person. Sure. But, I'm talking about uh, the, the bright colors uh, of uh, the book, or should I say color of the book? There's only green in the book, uh, mm-hmm. black and white, and maybe some but red. So and, then but, this is something different then. In no, the they literally then. put makeup on on the faces to look like the characters in the cartoon because the Grinch doesn't look like the Grinch of the book. The Grinch of the book uh, doesn't, isn't, they don't look exactly the same. Uh, the mm-hmm. Grinch of the book's a little more cuddly. This is, this is all taking advantage of nostalgia for the, I think it's a cynical move on Ron Howard's part and something mm-hmm. only like a decision, only a wealthy studio at the height of, theatrical money could make and pull off because it is an elaborate production one of the most elaborate indoor productions i've ever seen that's another thing that i like about it is like picturing the making of it and this like huge elaborate set and everything that went into it and like being a child actor like taylor momsen was in this (laughs) point and going into the set was probably so exciting like and you you can see this i believe you can still see on the universal hollywood's backlot tram tour Sun bleached and uh, seagull beshitted, just Ew. like just like Doctor Seuss would have intended. Talk about but, dark, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of one of those people that like I don't mind a remake oh, if no, it's yeah. good. Like the, the Lion King remake was bad. I have no the the new remake of that. the Grinch isn't terrible. It finds something else new to say and do with, with mm-hmm. the Grinch. I don't mm-hmm. dislike that one as much as this one because this is this is just a like a cynical boomer i want to make the thing that i like and i think this will make a ton of money and i'm going to throw as much money as is necessary and it's it's a fucking long movie to me it's a long movie i always thought it was over two hours i'm shocked to find out it's an hour 45 Uh, i'll I'll get another watch this year just to like calm down a little the only redeeming quality i think is is jim carrey Mm -hmm. and that i i have Besides, I think he's really good in it, and I'm not a huge Jim Carrey fan when he's going big and crazy. I, I think this is my favorite big and crazy performance, and that he's doing it encased in this makeup and right. still getting everything across is mm-hmm. really impressive. I mean, all you have to do is compare this to the freaking Mike Myers Cat in the Hat movie. It's and you realize, oh my god, and, and he's doing a great job. I think you're right, Sarah. Part of part of my anger does involve the Cat in the Hat movie, which is like. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. egregiously terrible and the stuff it adds in addition to being unnecessary is like wildly offensive to the subject matter did the camera mm-hmm. come before or after this i can't remember uh, after after okay mm-hmm. okay yeah um but yeah uh, i i like the darkness i like the weirdness i like the chaos of this movie it mm-hmm. feels very chaotic in a way that i kind of appreciate i don't know i think it's I think it's kind of a fun ride. I, I don't hate this movie at I, all. I know that I realize I'm somewhat wrong, and, and I know this because I've been to Times Square and uh, Los Angeles around Christmas time, and there are a lot of this Grinch running around taking selfies <laughs> for two dollars because it's it's incredible. It's as popular with some people and kids as like fucking Superman. Yeah, like, it's elaborate and mm-hmm. it looks cool. Like I'm sorry, I think a lot of it looks cool. I think that I like the fact that they turned the townspeople into 
humanoid creatures <laughs> know, that so- are not humans. Like I like that. I think that like plays into the whole Dr. Seuss thing it's- and the, the fairy taleness of it all. I mean, if we're going to talk about like a cynical money grab, like we could talk about the Polar Express, which is a yeah, abomination. Same problems. <laughs> and a huge abomination. But I, I'm not mad at this one at all. And I think like it took me a long time to realize this. I used to write about Christmas specials all the time. And, and maybe it's, you know, the adult ADHD. But like I love telling an epic, sweeping, emotional story in 30 minutes. And every time – even – if someone has the gall to tell me the Christmas a Christmas carol in longer than 40 minutes, like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> get out of here. Like, everybody can do this faster. We don't need this yeah. at all. Like, uh, like, do your original thing. Tell it in 30 minutes. But I, I, I know everything I'm saying, I'm kind of, as you're pointing out, Sarah, they did go the extra mile unnecessarily to make it look weird. It is It is probably where the worth... I, I, again, I, don't, I can't watch every movie for this. I just... I, I would not have watched this movie <laughs> for this show because I, I think I, sta- I stand I, I stand on it as like a genuine abomination. I find something about it offensive to me. And I know that's silly. And I've always wanted to like reevaluate it just like, pa- I, like but I, only, I feel like I'd have to pause time. Well, I, I, I mean, reevaluate it if you want. I just don't want you to come at it from a place of – well, they can't remake this thing or they can't no, make no. a new version of this thing because this thing is so precious to me. Because no, I, that's when nostalgia becomes a toxic. I saw half of the, the animated Grinch from two years ago. And I'm like, I, I absolutely prefer this because it's not it's hmm. not following the beats of the uh, it, they're I doing think, something new I with. I know they came out with a Grinch two years ago. Yeah. What? Directing yeah. by, the, by the guy who drank his own common clerks. Um, <laughs> so what? How, how we know the term snowball. He was. <laughs> No, what is what Scott Mosier, Kevin Smith's producing partner? He's he's the co-director mm-hmm. of the Grinch, the Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch starring Grinch. Um, huh. Benedict Cumberbatch is the Grinch. It's on. Uh, they're okay. both on Netflix, I believe. And I, I meant to give this a watch because uh, I have a feeling we haven't talked about it yet. And don't tell my girlfriend everything I've just told you, but I'm sure she is of the age <laughs> that is primed to love this movie. I think that's and probably true. I think it's definitely true. Given that I just watched one of her favorite childhood movies and it was fucking my favorite Martian, I'm like, I think we need to call this quits right now. Oh, dear. Like, my, my, <laughs> uh, Nostalgia is a hell of a drug. Yeah, yeah. Word. I, I have it too. I'm totally guilty of it. But like, yes. yeah, there was there was just something about this that like felt, I don't know, just felt wrong. And it was I, crass to me. Yeah, and I, I just, I love the uh, animated adaptation so, so, so much. It's so pretty. It's mm-hmm. one of the few perfect things holiday things in the world. It, I will recommend all day Rudolph and Charlie Brown Christmas. Mm-hmm. You, All of you will like the Grinch better. All of you. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. that good. Anyway, moving to television oh, for things uh, I feel less passionately about, like for love of co- our country, the Arturo Cent- Sandoval story. Mm-hmm. Uh, TV yeah. movie starring Andy. Yes. Yeah. A TV movie starring Andy Garcia and Gloria Estefan. Here's a promo. That horn I heard tonight. Doesn't belong to you. Belongs to the whole world. He had everything. You tour. You're famous. I'm on display. Except the one thing he wanted most. (laughs) It's not about the money. It's about the music. His artistic freedom. Academy Award nominee Andy Garcia. I want to start my own band. Do some fusion. I want this. Uh, this 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 trailer is captivating me. I need to stop playing it. This yeah. looks so silly. <laughs> and and Andy Garcia in a mustache. 
I know he's supposed Love to be it. Cuban here, but he just looked like a young Al Swearingen. Oh, I'm very here for it. Very here for anything Andy Garcia does. Yeah. Godfather so 3, Sandoval, you're going to love it. Comes out this year. I, I can't wait to hear what you think. Is that this year? Arturo, I'm sorry? Godfather 3. Are we going to have to talk about a Godfather on 302010? We, we are. Oh. I believe at Christmas we talk yeah. about it. Okay. I've never seen it, the oh, third one, boy. so I'm excited. That's, this, this is has to be a repeat ad because that's where that Oscar nom comes from. Really? Mm. What do you get nominated mm-hmm. for? Harry is back in show business? He lost to Bob Hoskins? <laughs> Like, sorry, that's the things I take away from these movies nowadays. Well, uh, this is the story of Artura Sandoval, who is a jazz trumpeter. Oh. Um, who, yeah, apparently, this is an HBO film. Apparently mm. led a very complicated life. <laughs> yeah, because he, no, he was from Cuba, and yeah. uh, eventually on tour he defected to the U.S. And it was, yes, for love or country. Does he want the musical freedom, or does he want to, like, protect his family it's like mm. that's a tough call jazz killed my yeah. parents i had to flee to america <laughs> <laughs> here's a show starring a person i love so much i didn't even know this was his nickname until oh. the show debuted two mm. beloved american people yeah yeah and i remember i sought it out once and i just think if i'm honest it didn't inspire me to track it down ever again but i there are a few people i love and feel should be billionaires more than david allen greer and I, I never Love knew him. his his name. His, his friends call him Dag. Dag, um, and uh, w- also starring Delta Burke. And I don't remember. I don't, I didn't look into this at all. And I remembered okay. it being in some kind of White House scenario. Yes. So. I love the premise of this. So David Allen Greer plays a um, Secret Service Mm -hmm. agent who, during a failed assassination attempt on the president, leaps in the wrong direction. And so therefore is demoted to having to protect the first lady, who is played by Delta Burke. Now, the sexism of this storyline... Okay, I'm not really into, but I love, love pairing Dag and Delta Burke, two American treasures together. I don't know why this wasn't a 10 season song. And I, I no. think 17 I, episodes. I think part of it is, be, is a joke I never got until now. I actually thought it was like poor naming. It's because it looks like Jag, which is a, a popular show right <laughs> was, now. Was Jag on in 2000? I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jag is, Jag is an old ass show. Probably one of the like the I know. yeah uh, uh, so Dag I thought like is this related to Jag no it's David Allen Greer show Dag you're right Jag started in 1995 I apologize yeah I think it got canceled <laughs> it got canceled for a year and switched networks and that kind of thing and NCIS well, is a Jag spinoff it's yep. called Dag because Dag's Dag the actor's character name is Jerome Daggett short for Dag God oh, damn it clever. Then the premiere of Dag, the Secret Service agent who jumped the wrong way while protecting the president. <laughs> now he's stuck with the first lady. It looks somewhat familiar. David Allen Greer. And Delta Burke. You gonna do this every time we go out? Dag premieres Tuesday after Frasier on NBC. Oh, David Allen Greer, you're the best. I wish David Allen Greer was my dad. I wish Delta Burke was my aunt, who was who's on pills, but still fun. I love how you wanted her in your family, but still at a distance. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and just the, the creators on this show just all have done so freaking much, and this just was a misfire for him. Uh, creator Jack Burdett uh, worked on in 
Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Frasier, 30 Rock, Mindy oh. Project. Uh, let's see, Eileen Kahn, Get a Life, News Radio, Mad About You, Dream On, and Andy Gordon worked on, uh, oh, he was the writer on Modern Family and Big Bang Theories. This, Damn. This, I, you had the lineup. You had everything you needed. And uh, this this show is so unpopular, <laughs> I just Googled it just uh, to see what happened, and the first thing that comes up is not David Hungrier's television show, but the Australian slang, for which it's primarily known, at least SEO-wise, an extremely eccentric person. Hey, you fall them. Must have been a bit of a dag. Like, no, no. <laughs> Correct me on my accent later. Holy shit. SNL this week. Um, last decade, we had Dennis Hopper. I'm like, surely there's no weirder guest star <laughs> SNL could get than Dennis Hopper. Nay. This week, they top it with your host, Tom Green, and musical guest David Gray. Um, wow. Holy shit. But uh, Sarah, you, you highlighted something here. Yeah, so on Weekend Update, Molly Shannon has the first appearance of a stand-up comedian character that she plays, which I think is a, I mean, I feel like is a little bit more of an obscure character that she played. She's a stand-up comedian from the 80s, basically, and has a catchphrase that I think about all the time. And so I pulled it. Don't get me started. Don't even get me started. (laughs) She's even in front of a brick wall. Yes, with the blazer on. But I say that to myself all the time. Like, don't get me started. Don't even get me started. She's got she's got Paula Poundstone shoulder pads and hair. Yes, I love it. It's I remember this because of uh, how SNL sort of had to respond to COVID. The show. A 45-year institution that needs to respond to current events but isn't allowed in the studio. I was talking to Dave, SNL fan, like, that is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen SNL had to cope with. We should do a laser time, as giant SNL fans, of the weirdest things that have ever happened on SNL. And Dave came up with one out of nowhere. And it's from this episode. And it's, mm-hmm. one, it's really weird because, like, it's, let's remember that Tom Green, I love Tom Green at the time. I love it a little less now. But the whole, like, I'm going to repeat the same thing over and over again until it's really weird. Oh, daddy. Oh, daddy. Would you like some sausages? Like, that shit cracked me up then. Now it's just like, fuck. I, like, I hate me on behalf of my father. Uh, this is, <laughs> Was this ever funny? So he's the host of SNL. And there's a sketch where SNL tries to tackle Tom Green-style lo-fi humor. Is there a word for this? Like, 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 like if, like, a Jimmy Fallon show tried to do a Tim and Eric sketch. That kind of mm. thing. Like, it's like, it doesn't work. And it's, this is from, it has a really weird intro song that's very Tom Greeny, but of course it's SNL. So it's done through like a fucking orchestra and written by a professional songwriter and like has too much going on. And it's just that this involved, it's him and Lorne Michaels sitting in a bathtub having conversations, shirtless, nude. Lorne Michaels does like almost never says anything on his own show, but instead is paired with Tom Green and, the recurring sketch of the evening, Lorne and Tom in a bathtub. They're drinking kids' jukeboxes. Yes, Lorne. I like you. I like you too, Lorne. Tom, what is the difference between like and love? One word. Commitment. My God, you are wise. And those are the jokes. <laughs> those, those are, it's, it's, it's incredibly surreal that like not only did SNL bother to do this, it made the richest man in show business do it with Tom Green. But whatever. I well, guess he's game for whatever. It's, this whole episode is really strange when you view it, first of all, through a lens of Tom Green's comedy at the time, which mm-hmm. at the time I feel like we all felt was like, 
way is just super weird, but now looking back on it, is definitely I think has flavors of Andy Kaufman. Like, yeah, it's, I'm just going to be like uncomfortable and weird. It's anti comedy. Yeah, that, it's anti comedy. Which, which I totally appreciate. Please watch Tim Heidecker's new comedy special, which opens with him kicking the microphone off stage and cursing at the audience to give it back for like five minutes. It's <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> and I've watched that part like three like, times. <laughs> God, that reminds me of Rory Scovel's yes. stand up comedy, where he's like, "Shut, Shut up! I have a limited amount of time." <laughs> <laughs> but then also when you're talking about like thinking about the time of COVID and everything, mm-hmm. like if you look through the different sketches that are during this show, mm-hmm. so many sketches end with or include Tom Green licking someone, yep. making out with another man, like getting <laughs> in someone's face, touching their head, touching their face. Like it's bizarre to think about when I was like reading the summary of this episode and like looking at the different sketches it was starting to make me feel uncomfortable because uh, we are now at the point of the pandy where I'm looking at like old stuff and thinking like, get away. You're too close. Get a mask on. <laughs> yeah, that, you're it, talking it, to each other's faces. It also oh, reminds Do we me- really blow out candles on cakes? Like here, here's a cake. I'm going to breathe on it. And then you eat. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> Try eat around my spit. please. <laughs> 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 oh, this sucks. Uh, this sucks so hard. It just, it's just one of those things that like a, uh, I was watching both simultaneously and huge fans, but it, it, it feels like your dad, try- SNL doing Tom Green's comedy feels like your dad trying to understand you. Yeah, this Nirvana <laughs> sounds really cool. And so <laughs> so Daryl Hammond will make out with Tom Green because like, is this what's funny? Okay. It's like the same thing with like how men were making out with each other in that, during that time here period because it's like is this funny is this what we like whereas like women were making out with each other during this time period to be like is this sexy is this what you're into (laughs) (laughs) and and i don't i know i don't know will and grace what's this all about oh well so the name of the the episode is gypsies tramps and weed can you imagine who the (laughs) extremely famous guest star is this is the first time that this Mm. it's her and A big part of it, so just to set up the scene, Jack is at brunch with Will and Grace, and he has to, they have to wait to get a table of four so he can bring along his share with Barbie so she could have her own seat. And then (laughs) Cher shows up, and he just doesn't believe it's actually her. And this (laughs) clip is so sweet. I love it. You know, dude, it is a little weird that you're talking to my doll. Um, I don't think I need a drag queen to define normal behavior. (laughs) But I will say this, the look is flawless. (laughs) Whatever. Ooh, working the attitude. Okay, you're good. I've had a lot of practice. Hey, hey, hey. You're not that great, Mr. Sister. I thought he was going to go like full on like embracing his own delusion, not just like, oh, yeah. Oh, there's that. It goes on where they do a share off where she says a thing (laughs) that he's imitating her. It's really sweet. Um, Will and Grace, ladies and gentlemen, the 13th to the the 19th of November 2000 for video games. Again, we'll go way more in depth of this and we're going to need to. Final Fantasy IX is out this week and that might be Japan, but, you know, we have our... 
America has their own Final Fantasy franchise, and that's called Madden NFL 2001. So there. The Emperor's New Groove game is finally out, but it's going right up against Dexter's Labs, Robot Revenge, and Powerpuff Girls Bad uh, Mojo Jojo. Who could forget Sonic Shuffle, the Dreamcast stab at Mario Party. Blues Brothers 2000 is out for the N64. <laughs> what? Uh, How? I, so there's a really a very real story behind this. Uh, the 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 studio, I think they're Titus or Titus Soft. Early on, they made a very successful Blues Brothers game, and inadvertently, the Blues Brothers became their most memorable, recognizable franchise, and they treated the franchise like fucking Mario. There are a lot of Blues Brothers games on almost every single platform you can imagine. Uh, Tomb Raider Chronicles is out this week. I believe that is the game that takes place after Laura Croft has died in the previous game. And uh, <laughs> you play through a bunch of prequel levels, including a very, very young Laura level. That would, I remember, being pretty neat, like playing around in her bat mansion. I could have that completely wrong. I'm winging this one, people. Sacrifices out this week, as is Hitman, codename 47. Uh, is that the first Hitman game? I'll have to find out with you on the video game show, patreon.com slash lasertime. Again, Michael, Matt, and if Chris Baker, send him some kind words on Twitter because I would love him to join every single time. Let's close out this uh, the 2000 segment with Sh- Shebangs by Ricky Martin. That this is on his follow up al- breakthrough album. Mm-hmm. I this it's song this song also bangs. Uh, I like it, this. It truly does. Mm-hmm. This is a great one, and uh, we'll close out with a little Ricky Martin, and we'll be right back in 2010. People, stay right there. all the ships at sea it's time for diana's classic corner we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching and for the week of november 13th through 19th we got oh, a bunch of really really old movies to talk about let's start with 90 years ago this week from 1930 so any of you watch you remember the aviator with leonardo dicaprio and they spend a whole bunch of the time like i'm trying to film this movie with lots of airplanes and and we can't have like you can't tell how fast they're going because we need clouds and uh, Ian Holm, tell us where the clouds are. Well, that movie turns 90 years old. Hells Angels is the movie they are making in uh, that big chunk of The Aviator starring Gene Harlow. And it's pretty dang good. Especially it's 1930 and they're using biplanes for this like ridiculous stunts and flying. And I think I slightly prefer Wings from a couple years earlier. But Hells Angels is totally worth a watch. It's not that long. Uh, that same week, also 90 years ago, was Morocco, starring Marlena Dietrich and Gary Cooper, where Marlena Dietrich is, like, at her Dietrichistest, because she's, you know, it's an exotic locale, she's a nightclub singer, there's a point where she's wearing a tuxedo and she kisses a woman. Yeah, the 30s were more lit than you realize, and Hollywood realized, and then they started putting in stuff so you can do that sort of thing anymore. But on top of those super fucking old recommendations, I'm going to make a more recent recommendation just out of nowhere for random reasons and just being sick of the election and sick of feeling negative about the presidency. I completely randomly ended up watching Dave from 1993 starring uh, Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver, Frank Langella. Holy crap, does that movie hold up? And it is charming as hell. 
and we're not going to get to talk about it for three years, so I'm going to throw it out here now. Dave, it's adorable. Regular guy has to pretend he's the president for a while. Wackiness ensues. Yeah, I kind of like, no matter what your politics, there's really not any politics in there. So whatever your politics, you end up just being charmed as hell. So throwing that out there. I think it's on Netflix. Dave from 1993, plus two ridiculously old films. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming into 2010 with uh, Kesha, uh, We Are Who We Are, spelled with two R's, uh, <laughs> off of Cannibal, and it is number one this week. Welcome to 2010, everyone. The modernist segment 30 2010 has to offer, as Diana <laughs> just got through discussing a movie that is almost a century old. How, how many things can we cover? We also have new music releases this week. We have What Separates Me From You by A Day To Remember, Above The Noise by McFly, uh, the, take that, the Take That Reunion album, Progress. Uh, Born Free by Kid Rock, Not Music by Stereo Lab, Out of This World by JLS, and Gravity by Westlife. Thematically consistent with our previous segments, People's Magazine this week to bring you in on the news. Sexiest Man Alive, Ryan Reynolds. I think that's. Yeah. He's probably a sexy guy, right? Yeah, I don't hate it. Yeah. Sense of humor is sexy. Okay. Okay. Especially a self-effacing sense of humor, not mm -hmm. a mean sense of humor. Has he done anything without abs before? I think he's been in a fat suit, actually. I was gonna say that's yeah. why Louis Anderson gets all that pussy. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I wouldn't touch this stuff. <laughs> so old school, I can't admit why. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of like what was Ryan Reynolds doing in 2010? Like, well, he did the proposal last year, I think, right. with um, Sandy. Yeah, he's around. I just usually this coincides with something pivotal in their career that they've done as well. Like, Ryan Reynolds is a bona fide movie star, so that's why we're yeah. also discussing his, this. The last movie of his we talked about was Buried. Buried. Which uh, is the kind of movie a movie star good. makes. Like, I'm going yeah. to make a stripped-down indie film. Uh, and he's this is right before Green Lantern, so I guess you could say Ryan Reynolds is there, even though the mo last movie I saw him in at this point in 2010 was as a little character called Deadpool in Wolverine Origins, one of the worst fucking films I have ever seen <laughs> in my entire life with characters I love very much. Yeah. God, that, that Deadpool. Anyway, I remember my friend uh, got got a copy of the script. He's like, you want to read it? Like, no, I want to wait for the movie. What Can you tell me something about it? He's like, do you like Deadpool? I'm like, yes. And he's like, you are going to fucking hate this. <laughs> and now Deadpool... Who knows where Deadpool stands? We don't have time for that. Uh, movies that have come out. Uncle Boom, Boomy? Uh, yeah. Boomy, who can recall his past lives with a bunch of people's names. I'm not going to try to pronounce. I'm sorry. You can take that one, Diana. You wrote them no, down. No, you're, you're not going to try to all say right, all, right. all those really long Thai names? Thanapet uh, Saisimar Jenjira Pongpas Sakada Kawibuadi. No, now you're just summoning demons. Those were. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm now inhabiting the, the form of a good guy doll, and I'm out to kill people. Yeah, uh, no, uh, I threw this in there because Uncle Boomy, who can recall his past lives, uh, won the Palm Dora can. Oh, okay, fantastic. Uh, it's the first Thai film to do that, and it's supposed to be wonderful. And I feel like a dick who, because I haven't seen it, but it's about a guy who is like getting to the end of his life and is kind of contemplating 
universe, I guess, or like contemplating reincarnation and like where his past lives might have been and where he might be going. And I will try to say the name of the writer director, Apichatpong Weirastakul. Uh, I I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but I think you just won the audition for vocal foley work uh, in a comic book. That, that yeah, and, and, tie, tie names. They, like there has to be some point where you just start putting hyphens in. It yeah. is really oh, no, there long. is. Those are long names. You ever looked up what Byling's name name is? I don't actually know. Yeah, man, we yeah. were talking. I think some of the thing we meant to get at in previous segments that every once in a while, you know, there is a movie coming out, and you want to back away or be as different as possible. So this week we have Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives, and whatever the fuck this is, I've stopped caring about Russell Crowe movies for a long time. Liam Neeson, Elizabeth Banks, and Russell Crowe in the next three days. My wife is innocent. I don't think I can last 20 years. What if you had the next three days? I promise you, this will not be your life. To save everything you live for. Show me where the bullets go. Three days to plan. The prison on the world is airtight. Three days to break out. The hardest part is staying free. Three days to freedom. Do not do this. We have no other choice. Russell Crowe. The next three days at PG 13 in theaters. Ooh, um, no, don't know yep. this at all. Uh, so we got a, a thriller written and directed by Paul Haggis, who's done good things like Million Dollar Baby mm-hmm. and bad things like Crash. And right. it's a remake of a French thriller, and it's about uh, Russell Crowe's wife, Elizabeth Banks, has been wrongly convicted of murder, and he in getting some help from former con Liam Neeson to break her out of prison. And it's very tense and moving forward, and reviews were like, eh. Okay, not great. Mostly just said it didn't have a lot of originality to it. Uh, yeah. It I hadn't lo- even heard of it. And I was like, oh, this actually, like, it could be fun if you want something semi-disposable. I okay. wish I could I could show you a picture of sweaty Russell Crowe with a gun and, like, tell me what movie this is. I dare you. <laughs> Speaking of which, in Thailand, I believe the next three days is called Russell Crowe Movie Part 6. It's, it's all part of the series over there. And, again, like, that's counter-programming to the thing. Like, if you have anything close to what the number one movies at the box office get it the fuck out of here because this is <laughs> the end of uh, a, a a cultural whale like you get the fuck out of here like you don't want to be anywhere near this on release day alan rickman michael gambin ray fines tom felton warwick davis robbie coltrane helena bonham carter latrix uh, <laughs> emma watson rupert grint and daniel radcliffe harry potter and the deathly hallows Part one. They are coming. They are coming. It's really you they want. I must be the one to kill Harry Potter. You can't fight this war on your own. He's too strong. Help me! Nagini dinner. In theaters and IMAX November 19th. It's odd to think Ooh. about. Like a, almost an entire decade of holiday films just like given to Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I, they didn't. Every time I hear that little like musical, like do, 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 <laughs> gives me a little chill. I just love it so much. And I let, let me go on record in saying something very non, incredibly non controversial. I fucking cannot stand splitting up stories into part ones and part twos like this mm-hmm. which um this is not the first movie to do i'm trying to remember did twilight already do it no yes. no, no no not yet no not yet but that shit like this is the it, first 
definitely the first big one. This is the one I have the least problem with. Twilight and Hunger Games. Hunger really Games did not need to do it. Hunger oh, Games no, no, no. fucking ruined itself. I thought. I thought that was. Mm-hmm. I thought that was an awful thing to do to a film. And mm-hmm. here's this the thing. one needed it though. It that. Yeah. This book was huge and it had a lot going on in it. it. Did. Yeah, I, it I, needed it. I love talking about the Harry Potter series. I forget why. I think it was on one of our last road trips to see our grandparents where we had to, before we had to move into a home near us. My sister gives me Harry Potter. The, the, the Azkaban the book had come out and the move the first movie was coming out. So uh, a lot of a lot of things you can say about J.K. Rowling right now. But one thing is that mm-hmm. she's not George Rape Rape Martin and she gets her shit in on time and finished her books <laughs> before the movies had to do it for her. I just became wrapped and I read the first three books and like I'm a 20 year old man who completely loves these books. I have a very odd relationship with the films. And I know people mm-hmm. hate hearing me say this. Uh, I had a way I thought the universe looked and would feel in those first two Chris Columbus movies. Hello, Home Alone. Uh, I think are awful visually. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, yes. and try yep. almost too hard to get as much in, in from the books into the films. I think they're fucking messes. I think mm-hmm. Coron fixed everything visually and tonally. And they became fantastic after that. And I've seen... Every Harry Potter movie again, except for this one. Same. And mm-hmm. and I think that's not fair because I was reading reviews about it and I remember it vividly because I, I I one of the first times I I was very committed to my job as Diana may remember us from that period. We were scrappy young people wanting to make a game website work. This is the first time I like fake sick is to finish this book, and <laughs> it, which had been out for like an hour. I, I do really like my Harry Potter, and I remembered not liking this movie, but now when I go back through it, like it's pretty beautiful. And part of what, oh, yeah. what makes yes. what makes it's, part seven. I love- hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no fin- finish your thought. The, the, the uh, thought was like because even um, just kidding, Rowling confirmed like this is going to be the first book that takes place outside of Hogwarts, and it does. But only in this movie. The second movie is back in Siege on Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. And I always say, that, like, it's the same way I turn on the last hour of Avengers Endgame. Deathly Hollows Part 2 is all ending and payoff. And it's like, mm-hmm. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Like, <laughs> firing mm. spell, arcs of spells in the castle. I love it. And this is three kids running away in the wilderness. It's a yeah. very strange tonal yeah. difference. Well, it's That's, a lot of dread. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people complained it's boring. They're mm-hmm. just spending all their time running and hiding. And I totally disagree. All them trying and often failing. And I love this. Oh, this show has had so many little things that rhymed this whole episode. Right. And it's like Rocky V. Huh. We're, we're doing a... It's no one's done this yet, Di. Go, go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, people didn't like Rocky V because it's so... It, it What was really light is now like dark and grounded. And that's what this feels like. It's not just mm-hmm. that like they're on the run and obviously they have all kinds of magic to rely on, but they're still freaking teenagers on the run from the authority. I, I think you're and absolutely... that's what it feels like most of the movie. I think this might be like my second favorite Harry yeah, Potter movie. Yeah, w- one of the things the books has a really hard time translating is the world outside of Hogwarts, which is always talked mm-hmm. about. There's all these characters you never see. You don't know about Rita Skeeter, the Fox News host that J.K. Rowling <laughs> clearly hates when she was on the right side of things. Because uh, that's mm-hmm. not really necessary inside of a film. But this is one of the the movies that like, no, no, this is not 
all a Hogwarts problem. This is an entire world problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and all this magical dread is occurring way outside of Hogwarts and is a problem for everybody and every living thing. And the foreboding that is established here is important to enjoying the second movie. And I am doing... I, yeah. It's not totally my fault because it's a technically like one big five fucking hour movie. Right. <laughs> but uh, I think... You know what's weird? I swear to Christ, like... Ten years from now, this will be an Amazon streaming series, and we'll get the we'll oh, get the shit, hyper offense. Right. Yes, it is absolutely going to happen. Even though, like, they've been teasing that Lord of the Rings well, series for years, and not a thing has been written or shot. But at least we uh, will st- we'll get the Wheel of Time series before we you better, you get the hope Harry so. Potter series. But this is this is this Harry Potter movie has an you know I think the movies were actually pretty good. And having different flavors, but this is mm-hmm. really different. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was, in hindsight, I, I think I was going to come in here saying like, this is the boring movie, but the, I didn't get a chance to watch it because I don't know where the fuck they're streaming quite yet. And, well, and also too, I mean, we're talking about a movie that is about dread yeah. and we just are fitting, like, because I planned to watch this movie, but then as this past week went on, I couldn't handle much more dread than I was already having in my life. I have enough life. Death Eaters yeah. in my life. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> so... I want to Peacock has them all streaming right I, now. I think that's okay. what it is, yeah. Right, on I think they, they're premium. just promoting that. It's like, it's the holidays, binge them. And I, say I was going to recommend just pirate it so that um, a turf doesn't get any more money. I mm. don't, No need to worry. I bought the Blu-rays years ago and they're just lost somewhere in this house without shelves and, <laughs> and i don't know where they are but i i i want to go on the record as like a huge harry potter fan and mm-hmm. i was definitely at an age where that was not really cool <laughs> that was not really cool but i was and i am more anxious to run upstairs when this is over and start watching this than anything else we talked about because uh my memory of this i remember us walking into the movie like what the fuck are they going to do in the next movie? Like, they're not really going to show all the stuff that's in the book. And they kind of, they don't want to harm kids forever. But like, yeah, it doesn't really pull its punches. And a lot of people die forever. Deathly Hollows mm-hmm. is, is uh, it's tough. And it's, oh man, I, I just, I feel really good about it right now. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, same here. That's, that's one, one thing that stuck out to me that I totally forgot. And I rewatched this a couple of years ago and I totally forgot that it's like, oh, they spend some time on certain deaths and no time on others. Like yeah. a bunch of important characters get whacked off screen yeah. <laughs> at the beginning of the movie. And they're like, oh yeah, he's gone. We don't have time for that. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that like rings true for when you are in a crisis like this. Like there are times you just have to grieve later, you know, when yeah. you, you are in a crisis. And I think that definitely rings true for this film. And I mean, like, we just recently talked about it off uh, mic, but like there is general, like genuinely beautiful spots of hope in this film as well, too, mm-hmm. including the scene uh, where they're dancing to Oh Children, which was just one of the more beautiful scenes that I've seen in a long time. I mean, I remember watching that when this came out in the movie theater and, and crying and just being like, this mm-hmm. is a very hopeful, beautiful thing during a time of like really scary unease. And I kind of wish I had gone back and like rewatched that more recently because I feel like that would have given me a lot of uh, solace. Because, by the way, as someone who's been in Sarah's house, get jealous. Uh, <laughs> the three physical media things I've seen that Sarah owns are Harry Potter related mm-hmm. uh, in terms of movies. Lots of books. Too many books. Um, yeah. That's true too. That that house is going up. Should have Flint or Tenter hit it. 
Uh, but uh, three movies that Sarah owns and they're giant Harry Potter sets. Well, yeah, they're the huge Harry Potter sets, which I can't find any more of them. I think they like, stopped releasing them. Yeah, I think so too. I, they only did three of them, and yeah. so my the completionist in me is like just driven mad by that. Yeah, I think I was I was and waiting also, to to find them on 4K, but that's like the dude. I'm saying this as someone who likes 4K movies, but that shit is a loser. <laughs> and I'm having problems with my internet hosting provider in terms of streaming 4K movies. 4K movies are are worthless right now. And by Black Friday, if you have a new Xbox or even an old Xbox or a new PS5, get yourself a 4K movie and see what the difference looks like. And I've always wanted to get the Harry Potter because they released them very early in the 4K cycle, but it, it's still like 150 bucks for movies I already own. Oh. And, um, I, 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 and I like Back to the Future. I'm like, I'm not going to watch this for two years, even though I watch this every six months. Uh, I'm not going to watch this until I can see it in a new way. And I was waiting for that with Harry Potter, and I just didn't see this coming up because I would have done it. Uh, Harry Potter, definitely. I would love to hear what people say about this because I think uh, people people a little younger, who especially who have rewatched it over and over again, have probably have a better perspective on it because that, that's how my sister is with these films. Like I am strictly like I love the books. I read a couple of them more than once. Mm-hmm. I really like that world and. Uh, Again, the first two movies were the major disappointments. Some of them were just like, eh, that was as 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 good as you could do it. But like, I I love the story, but like, this is just another version of that story. It's Ron Ron Howard's How the Grinch Stole Hogwarts. Um, I I have an original version that I like. TV of 2010, the 13th of November through the 19th. This is a big LOL. Two weeks after uh, <laughs> Keith Olbermann's suspension from for political donations, MSNBC suspends Morning Joe host Joe Scarborough. I, his accent is transfixing. I hate okay. <laughs> I hate that this show so much. What did Michelle Wolf this- call it? Like, what if a Me Too works out? <laughs> I, <laughs> I put this in here because, yeah, Joe Scarborough gets suspended for making contributions to Florida Republican candidates. And I just put this in here because I love to take any opportunity to make fun of Joe Scarborough because he is from my hometown, Pensacola, Florida. Mm-hmm. And he, this little shark eyed little weirdo, like he's just. <laughs> One of those, like, he's got little tiny eyes like a shark, and he's, like, just a flip-flopper back and forth, like, maybe I'm a Republican, but maybe also I'm a Democrat, and I've also got this hot wife now. It's my third wife, whatever. Who was who and- visibly trashed by the president. He's one yeah. of he's one of the ten women as a president he's called ugly. What a yeah. great guy. Which, by the way. <laughs> She's fucking gorgeous. Like, yeah. Mika Brzezinski is, like, fucking gorgeous and also, like, world politic royalty. <laughs> but yeah. whatever. Yeah. But he's, also, he's had, Joe Scarborough, did you know he has a band? And do you want to guess what the name of that band is called? Oh, hold on. Is it called uh, Scarborough Country? You can't even guess. Is uh, it the Scar Band? No, it's Joe Scarborough and the Independent Council of Funk. <laughs> I mean, I, I believe I've only heard it on the SNL sketches, but his opening song is his music. Yes. Welcome to the Nut House. I just and I, and I don't I know the show that well because I love making fun of Joe Scarborough. I don't know the show that well. I'm rarely up that early, but occasionally my girlfriend's like, "Dude, you got to see this clip of Joe going off because he is one of the only political pundits who has like has reversed his parties in the last four years." Oh. Yes, and mm. the way that he talks, he is definitely Oberman light. I feel like, mm. like yeah. he'll just because he is a 
mediocre and white he, man. He just says whatever he wants and I gets know. away with it. For and, the he, and he hosts a show with his wife who, like a producer and a good partner, has to like pat his arm. Okay, that's enough. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's enough. What are you and doing, part- Donnie? Donnie, listen! Donnie! <laughs> and I can't do his accent. It's just... I'm Joe. I cannot do the Philly accent, but it's hilarious when this dude gets on a rant. That's the only reason I like to watch it. He's not from Philly. He's from Pensacola, Florida. Oh, I thought he was. He has the oddest accent in the universe. No, he is is a hometown panhandle Florida boy. And there's literally no one on television or in movies with a Philadelphia accent because it is that horrible. It's it's, Tina Fey did it on SNL. Matthews was the last one, and we finally got rid of him. (laughs) Although I did... I did notice if you listen to Kevin Bacon really carefully, he said like 10% Philly. It's there. Just hiding. Tina Fey can do it. I've seen her do it before. Tina Fey can do it. Very strange. Bradley Cooper can do it because he's from Philly. You got to say hoagies right. That's the hard one. Paul F. Tompkins. Going to get my hoagies from from Wawa. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But back to Joe Scarborough. He's my favorite person that I love to hate. Because I still am a little bit charmed by him, but he's truly also the worst. (laughs) (laughs) But Morning Joe is very exciting to watch because he and Mika are married, but they do get in little spats. They they have like little Willie Geist, who's like their kid, who's like, Dad, Mom, stop fighting. This is the best. Have you seen the SNL sketches where it's it's Alex Moffat and and, uh, Kate McKinnon, where they're just always on the verge of making out on air? You stop it. (laughs) That's 100% what it's like. And I've been watching Morning Joe since before they were together. It is such a bizarre dynamic, Uh, and I hate cable news, and I I am known to watch it. And he had a really great rant against Mark Zuckerberg. You. (laughs) You. (laughs) Every now and then. You know what? A blind pig finds an apron every now and then. (laughs) But yes, I love Joe Scarborough, and I love to make fun of him. Oh, I hate this. (laughs) Little Uh, tiny shark guys. Also on TV, uh, Scarlett. I meant to look this up beforehand. I am the SNL expert, and I should be. Scarlett Johansson hosts with musical guest Arcade Fire again. One of the few musical guests in the Five Timers Club. Scarlett Johansson. Really? Scarlett Johansson has married herself into SNL royalty. That is one of the the silliest Word. situations mm. I've ever seen. You didn't see John Mulaney on Seth Meyers recently. He's talking about Colin Jost. You know that airport musical sketch we did, and like, and how we end up tugging around Jake Gyllenhaal in pajamas on wires. <laughs> That's the overconfidence of Colin Jost. Like, yeah, we'll just do that. We'll tug around an A-list movie star in a stupid sketch about an airport bird. Uh, maybe he'll show up, maybe he won't, but that's his overconfidence. And it's the same overconfidence that gets the weekend update host to ask out fucking Black Widow. Yeah, Scarlett Johansson is officially SNL royalty. She didn't make a ton of appearances as uh, um, Ivanka this year, but like she, she's, uh, I think, one of like less than 10 women in the five timers club oh wow at least in appearance maybe not in hosting duties but surprisingly scarlett johansson for someone i fell in love with in a ghost world but but because she was so deadpan but she has like surprising comedic chops i really like i really like watching her to commit to these sketches and yeah she's she's super surprised me in a post black widow world uh, arcade fire never heard of them i had to google them when they won a grammy just kidding i had that album <laughs> Uh, Community this week is a really, really good episode that I hadn't revisited in since uh, it came to Netflix. Conspiracy yeah. Theories and Interior Design. It is the premiere of Professor Professorson, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who eventually so good. who eventually goes on to teach the course Nicholas Cage, good or bad, which is 
something a Greendale student. <laughs> it's Stephen Tobolowski. Yeah. Stephen Tobolowski teaches that. No, it's him. Are you sure? Yes. Look up the I'm a sexy cat. That was brilliant. That, um, <laughs> no, didn't Tobolowski posted who is the boss? Who? Oh yes, thank you very much. Okay. Oh. I apologize. It was it was Angela. Why is this an argument? <laughs> she paid everybody. <laughs> Community. Um, I I I think. We're too. I'm too old to consider myself an influencer, but convincing people to watch Community since it hit Netflix is the thing I'm getting. Oh, thanks for oh. introducing me to Community and Netflix. I was the one that introduced Sam to Community, and I will always hold that in my heart that I gave him that gift. <laughs> Tyler Wilde. Yeah, this episode is great too because the beast. B plot, I guess, is pillow fort is established. that they make throughout the entire school. No, the dorm. Yeah, yeah. But that, doesn't that, that that's a two part episode that happens in the next season? It's the yeah, it's the first time they do a pillow right. fort. Yeah, not right. when they do have the civil war over pillows, pillows versus blankets. Which, which, right. which right. somehow I like. But they have I love it so much. But yeah, yeah. This one they have the blanket fort, and that's where they have the exciting uh, car chase. And by car chase, I mean crawling. <laughs> the exciting car chase through the ethnic district yeah. oh my god yes. oh no a parade it's Estonian Independence Day <laughs> so good but the best part of this whole episode is because it's about conspiracy theories there's a lot of um, double cross there, there's a whole scene at the end where there's double crossing and people teaching each other lessons over and over again through pretending to shoot each other with prop guns mm -hmm. and i really wanted to pull a clip from this episode but it's so it's long a three minute it's clip. so worth it like mm -hmm. you can't you can't just pull something out of it you just have to watch the whole clip so i urge everyone to just if you can't watch the whole episode at least google the episode on youtube and find that last little clip where they're all shooting each other with fake guns because it brings <laughs> me so much joy <laughs> It is it is great. And video games of twenty ten obviously will go more in depth in these and I really want to, especially with our buddy uh Mikkel Rapares. Uh, at this point in twenty ten, one of the biggest Assassin Creed fan I, I know, and he eventually made a career out of it. But Assassin's Creed Brotherhood is out, and that is one of our weird favorites in that it was clearly made very quickly. It doesn't pioneer a lot of new ground. It just streamlines everything. For one of the most fun experiences I've ever had in that series. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 is obviously out when they still made games based on movies. There's a bunch of Namco classics out in Pac-Man Party. Sonic Colors is out. Uh, the beginning of Nintendo's weird exclusivity with Sonic. This, their former enemy is now one of their biggest weapons. And Sonic Colors is one of the greatest Sonic games I've ever played. Conf like Restricted to 480p non-HD, and I think that really sucks. I would love to see a re-release of Sonic Colors. We also have NBA Jam uh, on Fire Edition. I have no... Oh, is this the Wii version of the uh, regular console remake? Uh, but this is this is EA buying the rights to NBA Jam, which it didn't have back in the day, and remaking an arcade classic that it had no involvement in, and it gets great reviews, and everyone ignores it, and the NBA Jam series is essentially dead right now. And <laughs> Pac-Man Championship Edition, one of the best games ever made. Uh, it is a wonderful, weird update on Pac-Man that involves chains more than it does clearing boards. Everybody will love Pac-Man Championship. Oh, sorry, this is DX. This is the... Uh, uh, blah 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 expander the the game plus version of that it's absolutely great i can't recommend it enough i love pac-man championship edition and with that we are almost done with the show i want you to stay around 
for the uh, not only the plugs, but we also do a death and birthday quiz that you're not going to want to miss, especially with how many people died this week, he said uh, somewhat petulantly. But um, thank you very much for listening, and we are supported by people like Jason Walsh and many other fine people at patreon.com slash laser time. In, in exchange for your five bucks, your hard-earned five bucks, we know uh, it, times are tight. If you can't afford it, no biggie, man. But if you if you can, we want to give you extra stuff. That includes a massive, I think, like a full 30, 20, 10 size version of the video where we talk more about the video games with people who have worked in publishing, uh, marketing, magazines, enthusiast press, and for publishers. You can't get a better insight into the last 30 years of video games than this show. And we kind of need to keep behind a paywall because it gets pretty... Uh, I don't think anybody would sue us for the the, the things... <laughs> the secrets. This, the, there's certain things like we wouldn't say on a normal show, is what I'm saying. Um, but mm. amongst friends, you will. It well, gets a little blue. Not, no, no, not blue. I, no, not blue. But it, like, it gets a little inside baseball. <laughs> things we wouldn't say, like, right. oh, this project was really fucked up, and this is why. Chris Baker. I don't think that there, nothing like that. But he worked at Marvel and has all these stories of taking around the CEO of Marvel and Stan Lee to like introduce them to video games and shit. It's fucking amazing. Um, and we also have that and sick of star Wars. Um, we're going to have a new episode that takes place in the middle of empire strikes back and star Wars. I think that's important because not only do we get to discuss no one knew star Wars was going to be a thing, even toy makers. And that eventually for the three years in between star Wars and empire became the biggest thing in the world and the most money star Wars would ever make. And uh, in addition to that, the Star Wars holiday special happens, and I think it's all worth talking about in a shorter episode rather than trying to lump into a, a story about Empire Strikes Back. We already go real long on Sick of Star Wars. Every episode, you could cut up into an episode. We could make it a, a, every month of a 40-minute podcast, but we have a giant um, Sick of Star Wars podcast. Thank you to my co-host, Adam Pass Blaster. You can find him streaming there on Twitch and YouTube and uh, Tweakalicious TV for Jeremy. Uh, Di, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at LeCineNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast through 02010podcast. And teasing for next week, Kevin Costner's going to get an Oscar. No! And Madonna's going to be too hot for television. No! Ooh, la, la. Yeah. Oh, oh no. Uh, and, and with that. I want to kiss you in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all the deaths I told you happened during this time period. I lied. It's no one. Yeah. I got nobody. I found no famous people dying because Alex Trebek leaving us this week was enough. That's right. He's <sighs> shucking it with God now. And Sean Connery. I, mean, I saw a comic strip somebody posted of like Alex Trebek hosting a game show between like Albert Einstein, Leonardo da Vinci, and Stephen Hawking. And I couldn't help but remark like, even in the afterlife, God puts Stephen Hawking in a wheelchair? What, a, <laughs> what an asshole. Like, what, what an asshole. At least give him his voice back. Anyway, uh, this is where we find out who was born. And that is known for fans of the show as the... Ah! Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Who was born during this period of 302010? November 13th of the 19th. Oh, turning 60 this week, and he does not look it. Born November 17th, 1960 in San Diego, he moved to Atlanta at 15 to study performing arts and struggled with menial jobs as a backup singer and appearing on a public access variety show. Bill Nye? No, fair guess. That was Seattle. <laughs> My bad. Um, yeah, Almost hmm. Live was out of Seattle. 
he moved to New York and continued as a club performer and wore public access TV. It's his appearances on that which got picked up to documentaries that really helped him get noticed. Is it? It's not. Oh, wait. So this is not like an actor then. Well, we've talked about some of his films. Okay. But uh, before that, he recorded a dance album, appeared as a model for Mac Cosmetics, had a VH1 talk show. Terry Crews? Fair enough, guess. Uh, on Finding Your Roots, he found out he and Senator Cory Booker are cousins. Huh. And movies he has appeared in include Fled, Ed TV, A Very Brady Special. Um, I feel bad. I did not even realize we missed Eyes of Tammy Faye. He is the narrator RuPaul? of it. It is RuPaul. No yes, shit. RuPaul. Did, did 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 he become famous as RuPaul in like Atlanta? Yes. Air- wow. All right. Yeah, that's where he, he started. Uh, uh-huh. Doing like drag and gender fuck type stuff and singing and. I mean, if you ever uh, been yeah. to the Deep South, the the most open audience to that in the early nights, <laughs> in, in the Atlanta? late eighties in Atlanta. Oh, in, in Atlanta. Atlanta. In Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, yes. Thanks for saving yeah. us again, Atlanta. I appreciate. You. Yeah, and after. All that shitty stuff. His most recent show has won back-to-back Emmys for a reality competition show. He oversees an empire worth about $60 million and also appeared in But I'm a Cheerleader and the Love Shack video. Those are the other things of his we've talked about. And a really funny episode of Muppets Now. Uh, there was a great article in Deadline about how Disney's mishandling the Muppets and that no one's watching Muppets Now on Disney+, Plus, but it's an improv-based comedy show with Muppets and with mm-hmm. cool guest stars like Seth Rogen and RuPaul and Spun. Oh. And mm-hmm. also supports fracking. So, huh? yeah, there are some downsides. RuPaul's <laughs> husband owns a lot of land in Wyoming, mm-hmm. which they have allowed fracking on. And um, and and he said some things. He's not as trans woke as you would think some a man who wears women's clothes for a living would be. I mean, let's not forget RuPaul is also an old man. But 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 uh, sorry, Fair. old, old yeah. person, whatever. But like, uh, broke a lot of barriers too. So go easy on RuPaul. Yes, I, I thought, oh, like, no, we're yeah. not canceling RuPaul. I mean, get that skrill up. But also, yeah. you know, you're never too old to learn. Yeah. I'm not excusing anything, but just like, holy shit, you... yeah, <laughs> guys, mm-hmm. we got to close out of this show. And um, this comes from, I believe, Sarah's recommendation of Old Children by Nick Cave, a song used in Deathly Hallows Part 1. Tune into more of that. Patreon.com slash time. Nick Cave, please take us out. Oh, children, we love you. Forgive us now for what we've done. Started out as a bit of fun. Here, take these before we run away. The key.